Well, we may be melting into our chairs, but we're here to talk gibberfish, aren't we, Dom? Yeah, it's a, it's an odd sunny day in a, in Bonnie, Scotland here. It's oddly uh, muggy and I don't like it at all. Oh, dude, yesterday was hellish. Absolutely fucking hellish. It was nasty and humid and a uh, good old uh, UK word that was claggy. Yes. And just, <sighs> I, I've described claggy as being the heat and the sweatiness that you feel in your genitals, like yeah. you feel it in your balls. Claggy is reference to the ancient Scots word clag, which is the definition of sweat that touches both the inner thigh and the ball sack. <laughs> yeah. Or, or the, uh, the, the the vaginal area on the womb. I was going to say beef curtains, but I, was like, <laughs> I can't say that. <laughs> I can't say that. At a certain point, like, it is weird how much we're willing to just, we'll throw every male terminology at every joke we can, but the second you start talking about women's uh, genitals, you're like, I kind of don't want to say any word just because it sounds like I'm going to say something weird that will freak someone out or it will be someone's least favourite word. Like the number of people who get freaked out by the word moist. That oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember I, I at college, for the first, uh, my first year, we had to give a speech and uh, like we were talking about what people's favourite things are and I was talking about my favourite things are a good record and I, I, we had to do a little introduction and said, uh, your favourite thing might vary. Your favourite thing might be a nice cold beer. Your favourite thing might be a, a, a slice of moist cake. I thought this was a totally innocuous sentence. And then every <laughs> uh, woman in the room, including my lecturer, just went, Ugh. <laughs> just that visible and audible shudder, just, don't say that word. Just that kind of word, moist. Roll of the shoulders is kind of the little shudder. Yeah. Yeah, and the hands always go off to the right, and I kind of, oh, get that away. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, we're running a bit late. Um, I was busy laughing my ass off at Super Eyepatchable's new review of Shenmue 3. He just finished the game for the second time, and he started talking about it in his podcast, the Let's Fight a Boss podcast, which he does. Mm. I think he's started doing like once a week because they're all in lockdown. So it's like we might as well just hang out and talk. It's, it helps with the sanity. And uh, he sounded like he was in pain on that podcast. I was like, how bad could it possibly be? And then uh, his like 40-minute video of him breaking down everything he doesn't like about the game, uh, including a... I think the, the point that really got me was the his step-by-step -step guide on how to buy a bottle of wine in the game. I was in fucking tears. Because the game is just so ancient in its way of thinking. Um, because it's made by a guy who, back in the day, was a genius. So he stuck with that mindset of, this is how game mechanics should work, this is a logical game progression... And this is a kind of this is how the mechanics of the progression should be. He's so set in that mindset that when he makes a game in twenty nineteen uh, slash twenty twenty, it doesn't translate very well. So watching him uh, like break down this like good chunk of I think he said it was about two or three hours of gameplay was him mm. trying to buy a bottle of wine, and his uh, understanding of what was going on at the time is absolutely hysterical. And I just, I, I'm never going to play the series, so I went all the way through the video just with all the spoilers. And I can see why people got mad after 19 years of waiting for the game. Yeah, I, I tried. And people who pay attention to the Twitter, at Jibberfish on the Twitter, know that I gave Shenmue 1 the old uh, collegiate try. And it, it didn't work. That game is just, I don't get it. Whereas I get, I understand that Shenmue 1 and 2 are regarded as masterpieces in their own right because of when they came out, what they came out on, 
and the types of games that they were and the times of games the types of games that are being released alongside it i 100 percent understand why these games are masterpieces but when i played them in 2020 after just playing resident evil 3 on xbox mm-hmm. nah i uh, don't get the hype i don't understand why these games are still so revered I think they're revered for the place they hold in people's minds at the time, and yeah. it becomes really hard to have the conversation now about how do we regard a game that is that old but that has that fan legacy built into it. Then uh, yeah. it happens with a lot of different stuff. Uh, just you can end up with just the memory of how it plays in your head. And I know that there are a lot of games for me. The big one for me was uh, Borderlands. I love Borderlands so much. I went back mm-hmm. to play it and realized that this game is not at all how I remember it, it is mechanically different, it is of a certain time and uh, although it's still good I still enjoyed good parts of it I uh, I found myself really stuck saying I, this is not how I remember it and it's very hard for new people coming in, hearing all the praise, hearing all the uh, adoration fans have for games like Shenmue and then coming into it with their own the preconceptions built in from the fan interactions and then having to just live through a weird experience that is not anything like what you thought it was and all you have to compare it to is your previous gameplay which might have actually been built on the ex- like what Shenmue did a lot of people point to uh, the similarities between Shenmue and Grand Theft Auto and I was like Grand Theft Auto I think it's the third one Vice City no Vice City might be four uh, no it's Grand Theft Auto 3 is just the, the, the third one yeah there's G- there was the top down GTAs then three then Vice City and San Andreas were kind of 3.5 and 3.8 or some shit. Yeah. And then uh, then there was 4 and then 5. So, yeah, I, I think that the, um, I, like, they having to, like, everyone, I guess everyone has put their hands on Grand Theft Auto at some point. Uh, with even just some limited experience. And then had, uh, if you go back to Shenmue, which is a precursor to all of that, you end up with a totally different gameplay experience. And uh, yeah, I, I can't imagine it's a lot of fun to try and have to think objectively about something you want to criticise in a weird way. Like you, you have to kind of remove yourself from everything you learned before to play a game like this because it is so of one mind. It is from its creator's mind and there's no other influences on it. The guy apparently um, gave an interview about how he was developing Shenmue 3 and said that no modern games are influencing his uh, decision and uh, design process on Shenmue 3. I'm like, uh-oh, that's that's not good. <laughs> I'm sorry, you, you can't just port uh, a game from when Analog 6 were a brand new thing to the, more, the modern generation of gamers yeah. and expect it to work out well. Yeah, it's funny when you get the quote-unquote old genius who just say, for example, with Shenmue, he made, the, he made two games very critically acclaimed back in the day on Dreamcast and just thought, yeah, let's just keep that ball rolling and keep it exactly the same way, but with better looking graphics. Yeah, it's, you kind of want to turn to him and say, sir, two generations of console have passed since you made a game like this. Yeah, there's been some updates, there's been some developments. I, uh, I I read an article once that explains that if you're uh, if you're about to be, if you think you're about to be fired and you're going in for that meeting with management to discuss uh, your future at the company, never bring up the phrase, do you know how long I've worked here? Because it will immediately aid you in the conversation. It will immediately yeah. uh, put everyone just aware of just how long you've been around. And I think that might be the case here where uh, the, this game is a definitive statement of, do you know who I am? Do you know what I've done for this company? 
and uh, all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, you're that old. Okay, that explains a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're probably the right age for mandatory retirement. Mm-hmm. We uh, we have an we have an opportunity for you. It's called not working here anymore. Uh, goodbye. It's gardening leave. <laughs> we will even help pay for the garden if you like. Just just yeah. leave. But yeah, I, uh, I I find that very interesting. Uh, just watching such a detailed breakdown of why he he basically says the last nineteen years of my life have been a waste of time. <laughs> And I'm like, oh my god, that's the saddest thing he's ever said in a video. And this man comes out with some very heartfelt statements. Uh, so yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I highly recommend it. If you're not a Shenmue fan, I think uh, Wolf does a great job of introducing you to why Shenmue is so important. With uh, his first video, which is just about the legacy of Shenmue, with uh, 1 and 2. He's got the footage from the remastered game, so you can see what it looks like. And then his breakdown about what happens with uh, Shenmue 3 is just... A sad end to the trilogy, but uh, we we talked off mic about a friend of ours uh, who has made a video describing how he would fix the game uh, with something else, not Shenmue, but I, I think he actually did a very good job of, uh, like Eyepatch Wolf does a very good job of actually making that statement work because it's kind of arrogant to presume that you can say this is how I would definitively fix a piece yep. of your art, but uh, I think he makes a good point of... Uh, how he would have ended the storyline of it because he says, "Look, I can't fix the game, but if I was going to fix the story, here's what I'd do." And he actually yeah, starts. With, recommendation. Yeah. He actually starts with uh, saying, "Look, I, it's it's bad. It's a bad thing for me to try and say I can fix someone else's game, but I mean, I, I haven't even worked in the medium, so this yeah. uh, this comes with a pinch of salt. But here's my fix." Yeah, that's like me being a lawyer doing, like walking into. A video game director's office and say, "Look, uh, Resident Evil Three. Here's how I would have done it. Like, dude, go back to you know solving criminal cases. <laughs> we have games work to do. I'm never going to be in that realm. So why should my opinion matter? Yeah. Or why should my opinion be the definitive fix for an area where I'm not a specialist? Yeah. I just think that fans. Right. This is going to sound kind of uh, cunty, but it's genuine. My thoughts on it." fans should be allowed a voice but i think they need to realize where their voice they need to learn the difference between their voice being valued and their voice being needed because i think there's no game developer up and down the country take neil Druckmann from the last of us 2 he's not going to turn you away he's not going to say look your opinion is shit but at the same time he doesn't need your opinion he'll <laughs> listen to it yeah he will gladly sit and talk shop with you about last of us part two but at the same time he's made uh, uncharted one two three and four Uncharted Lost Legacy, Last of Us Part 1, Last of Us Part 2. The guy knows how to make a game. Yeah, Your opinion is not necessary. And again, that's a bit of a harsh way of saying it, but you're passionate, fucking great. Just read the room is all I'm going to say on yeah. that. It's a, it's a fine line to walk because it is a case of passion. And I think I was about to say, I wonder if it's this bad in other communities. It's like the nerd community is horrific for it. We really need to shut the fuck up and let creators yeah. create. But I, I think that just comes from being so passionate about certain things that we just we can't help but mouth off when someone says something about a franchise or a game or an idea that uh, we, we want to have our opinion heard on it because uh, we, we just love it so much. Like That's part of nerd culture has always been the debate, the back and forth. Uh, but then I remember, like, it happens elsewhere. I mean, think about the, the concept of Monday morning quarterbacking, like the number of people who go in after watching Sunday night football and have opinions and ideas on how, with hindsight, they would have fixed 
uh, the big play from last night's game or uh, people who are watching like the motorsports, uh, there's a lot of motorsport fans coming out the woodwork right now because of the only game in town. Uh, I've actually been told that I should start watching motorsports. Sorry, bro, it's not going to happen. i uh, just not going to yeah. do it. Uh, I'm, I'm, like, I've seen some fascinating videos from uh, from motorsports, but frankly, I'll just tune in at the end of the year and watch the crash highlight reel. Uh, that seems like how yeah. I'm going to enjoy motorsports. Um, and I, I just... Like, there's all those people who come in on the Monday morning after the game, after the big game, and just say, I would have fixed it. I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have went left. I would have went right. I'd have zigged when he should have yeah. zagged, you know? There's a lot of people who walk in with that opinion. I think it's just part of our response is to think we innately know better than whoever did the thing. Oh, without a doubt. I uh, I get that on a, a... Before, you know, we went into lockdown, back when I was playing rugby every Saturday for eight out of the 12 months of the year, uh, whenever I would step off the pitch, there would always be some fan or some, some you know, club member that used to play rugby 40 fucking years ago will come up to him and go, son, this is what you should have done. You should have went with the old forearm tackle. Like, the forearm tackle's been banned for 20 years. Sir, that's illegal. Am, that's illegal. <laughs> and what's even worse is you get people that have never played rugby or they've played rugby once when they were a kid. Yeah. I mean, I only played rugby once when I was a kid, but see, we man, what you should have done was you just fucking drop the shoulder and drop them. Like, go away. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like as well that the, the, the criticism of someone who has only played rugby once when they were young as a kid is the very basic rugby criticism of you should have dropped the shoulder and dropped him. Like, that is the very basic level of uh, information he would give you. Yeah. As just, if you I weren't thinking of that. I'm not a fan of the, uh, the armchair politicians, the armchair coaches, the. Uh, the armchair athletes who, you know, say, I could have done that better. Well, there's a reason why you're five stone overweight watching <laughs> the Scotland game in your living room. Yeah. And, you know, Stuart Hogg is, you know, running pitch lengths to uh, score tries. Like, he can do that. You can't. It's simple, yeah. you know, training and dedication. Yeah. If you could do that, why didn't you fucking do it? You know? Yeah. And it's, it, it's... You uh, yeah, I think of it as like kind of uh, put up or shut up, really, and uh, it's just it's just something we all do, and it's just something to be kind of. Yeah. I like to think people would be a bit more mindful of it, um, just to try and say, look, I'm just mouthing off. I really don't need to express myself on this one. I should just maybe take a back seat for a little bit. Yeah, and I think it goes back to what we spoke about last week. People get people get involved when it's something that they're passionate about. Like we were talking about YouTube, when. You see something on YouTube and just say it's your favourite YouTube gamer and they're playing your favourite game, uh, let's say, for example, Gears of War 2. You're like, nah, man, what you need to do there is you need to go there, 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 and there. Like, we get it, you're passionate, but, you know, different strokes. Let him play your way, let him play his way, let you play your way. They're both valid, they're both worth their weight. Just, you know, be a bit more open and don't think that your way is the only way. Open-mindedness is what we're trying to practice here. Yeah, and I'd, I'd say if you really want an interesting perspective on it, look at, I think it's maybe Jeff Ramsey from Achievement Hunter probably said, it's probably said it a couple of times, but they've been talking about how uh, they receive really weird criticism because on the one hand, they receive criticism for being bad gamers, but on the other hand, they receive criticism as entertainers. So those are like two different things that they try and meld together in videos that they do. So they have them, they have like the option of being incredibly uh, proficient gamers but not being very entertaining. And that's something they can't really do because in order to be an entertainer as just a good gamer, you have to be like an esports level gamer. You have to be like a Shroud 
uh, or like an esports competitor, you have to be on that top like 0.1% of gameplay, which not everyone can achieve. So in order to be entertainers, they go with comedy. So that's why they might fuck up. Maybe not on purpose, but they're more willing to fuck up if it makes for a good video. There's yeah, a lot of things going on in the background that you might not understand as the outsider looking in. I, if I was ever to do Twitch streams, which I'm not going to lie, I kind of want to dabble in at least once to say that I've tried it, but uh, it's not you know a massive bucket list thing. If yeah. I was to if I was to do that, I'd go for entertainment over competence. Like I'd rather play a game in a way that people enjoy, yeah. and not just be crit passing my way through a game, deciding you know I go this way, I go this way, I go this way, and then the game's over. Yeah. Great. Like, yeah, here is the most efficient way to get through Resident Evil, and there's a community for that. Hence, you know the speedrun running community. Yeah. Uh, there are people who do that very well, and there's you have to find where you want to stand on that spectrum of. Uh, proficiency and entertainment and if you can make proficiency into entertainment by going so far left you end up on the right that's great but not a lot of people can do that so you have to uh, try and balance it and I will say uh, having done a couple of Twitch streams it is very fun to try and work that line it is very mm. hard to do it is hard to decide when you want to be funny when you want to be good um, and just maintaining a good flow is kind of weird it's, it's worth it I definitely recommend it if you're interested let me know I'll help you out in any way I can but uh, yeah. it's it's weird, it's strange, you don't think about it that much and then you th overthink it and it's like, oh shit If I was going to do a Twitch stream I would pro I'd probably like to do it with someone just to kind of bounce uh, you know, bits off of and just uh, I sounded dirtier than I meant it to just bounce bits <laughs> off like, yeah. uh, just, you know, banter back and forth, that kind of shit but I'm quite glad that you, you mentioned that you brought up the whole trying to tread the line of competence and you know, entertainment because that, that's going to lead me into uh, a point that I'm going to be making later, so Glad you, glad you brought that up. Well, I'll just say, I am absolutely open to helping you stream in any way you want. Let me know; we'll sort something out. And um, yeah, I say we, I say we bring the, the the jibberfish to to Twitter, uh, to Twitch. Yeah, fuck Twitter, <laughs> <laughs> bro. Periscope is a viable streaming platform. Okay, you can go live with the push of a button. I have you know that it is a very profitable margin of all of five people watching Periscope these days. My friend. I, <laughs> Twitter, you goddamn cocksucker! I ain't, I'm not gonna give you any more exposure. It's fucking Twitch or go fuck your mother. <laughs> it's Twitch with live streaming or go fuck your mother. We're doing it Joey Diaz 2020 style. Here we <laughs> uh, I, uh, I, I get the, uh, I, I get the idea of like just going for it. It's worth it just to try and, uh, like we'll, we'll sort stuff out. We'll probably talk about it more off mic. Um, I didn't know yeah. you were interested, so I was like, ooh, cool, we'll, we'll do this. Cause yeah. we, were, we were talking about video essays before we went on, and I was like, I was going to ask, have you ever done stuff like video essays before? Like, with a very, with a very like strategic point to make, have you ever sat and done one of those before? Because it's an interesting uh, creative process. I have. Like, oddly enough, I did a video essay for a project that I did with a youth group that I used to work for, and it was... It was a church in Bonus that uh, their youth their youth program I went through when I was a kid, mm. and then when I was of the right age, I was looking for a job, and the person that ran that said, "Oh, uh, dude, I've known you since you were four years old. You absolutely can come down and help out." And I, we did a video essay on it, it was some kind of. Please tell I, me I, you're in some cringy anti-drug commercial. Like, just say no. Hugs, <laughs> no, not drugs. Uh, Hugs do. <laughs> Yeah, I, I did a just say nothing. I, I can't remember what the hell it was, but it was a video essay on basically, uh, it was 
we got tasked by the the leader of the youth group. We had to basically go around and do a short twenty minute uh, sort of speech or talk about what is, what you think is properly important. Because I think the uh, the minister at the time was going to put it in his sermon, and uh, yeah, it was it was quite weird just talking. Because I think we we recorded for 80, 50 minutes worth of footage, and then it was my job to kind of cut it down, which was a fun day. I can tell you that much. <laughs> I, this is why I am so glad that you are as competent an editor as you are, because editing is a is is a foreign language to me. I I don't get it. Like, Pat yourself in the back, Colin. You do it, better. you do it, so I don't have to. I I have a weird fascination with editing. I enjoy it as a process of like for us, the podcast is very minimal editing. If anyone's like, dude, you take out like five minute conversations. I take it. You take it your own uh, rampant hatred of uh, Sherpas, and you're, you're I, good. I really have to because, frankly, uh, I mean, why without you going fucking Sherpas, man? They need to suffer, but I can't let them know it's coming. Okay, I have to kind of. It needs to be kept private. And then yep. released at once, built up in private, released at once, like alcohol. They need to think secure. Fine. Yeah, they can't see it coming. But the, like, I when it comes to video editing, it is an entirely different beast. The, the podcast is edited very minimal. We go through do some audio, uh, like some just balancing checks to make sure there's no random spikes. And then I take out any weird things that happen. Like if we accidentally slap a microphone, it happens more than you think. I try and take that out, yeah. but beyond that, for the podcast, it was very minimal. When it comes to video editing and making a a presentable YouTube video that you want people to see, that you the way I think of it is, how would you feel if someone you know closely found the video? I want stuff I make to be acceptable to that level, so I don't make stuff like I could throw out random like live stream videos at any given point, but I don't want to make that. I want to make something that's a bit more concrete. I want to make something mm. that's considered and edited and selective and very to the point. I don't like to waffle too much, but I think that yeah. on the flip side, when you have the podcast or when we have uh, Twitch streams, that actually kind of goes away and it gives you a much more relaxed feeling. I don't know what yeah. it is. There's something about the fact you can just sit and hang out and just play some games and just chill and be there in the moment. I think that's very enjoyable experiences. That's yeah. probably the thing I enjoy the most about Twitch compared to other like social media platforms. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of a weird thing. You've actually just kind of put my mind back to that because I remember there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of swearing that I had to edit out of the video essay. <laughs> I, I, I there you go because most of the people in the video, I was the oldest at twenty four. Mm-hmm. This was this was a while ago. This was almost five years ago. Uh, uh, I was the oldest, and everyone else, the, the youngest below me was twenty two. Then it was just some of the other sort of junior members of the youth group. Mm-hmm. the junior leaders they were just every five seconds and it was just so what's uh what's fucking important to me and i was like dude <laughs> you can't swear albert the minister is literally going to present this on sunday morning to your granny your uncles your aunties your mums your dads you can't swear right okay so what is fucking important to me dude <laughs> <laughs> guys fuck it is a swear i know we all use it as punctuation but it's a bad word to normal people Scottish people I get that shite is a comma to you, but <laughs> calm it down. That's actually uh, like a, an old memory of mine is that we, we tried to film something and we were given like a script. It was uh, me and James and someone else and we were told to just walk through the woods reading the lines just as a kind of like a, a demo version of something that someone wanted to film and it was garbage. The video was horrific. We were trying to shoot in a forest in daylight if we were shot in a forest in daylight. 
it's a nightmare. I hate trying to balance the light levels. It's a fucking nightmare doing it now. But I kept swearing, reading the line, and when I fr I keep messing up the lines as well because I'm not good reading off a script. I'm I'm much better at just kind of off the cuff. And even then, I'm not good at that. But when it comes oh, to yeah, actually, I'm, I'm a surgeon at improv. I will make up <laughs> lines on the spot. <laughs> but like reading off a script is a nightmare for me for some reason. Just especially when you're combining it with walking. Like I'm never. I am never going to hit the, the stage as a big actor. It's going to be an absolute nightmare if I do. Half of my hey, lines hey, will hey, be me. You talk yourself down. <laughs> half of my Careful. lines, half my lines will be me yelling like as King Lear will happen. You know what? Let's make it happen. <laughs> let's go right now. And make King Lear, uh, me as King Lear, happen. But yeah, let's do it. Every time I, I I fucked up, I would swear. So I would I would mess up the line. I would just I'd waffle something. I'd get a line wrong and mispronounce or something would happen, and you see me go. Fuck, <laughs> and then I, it wasn't until like the, the the other friend who was filming was like, you know, I'm showing this to my parents, right? <laughs> I was like, oh, oops, oh, shit, oops. You do this again from yeah. the top, damn it. <laughs> take four, <laughs> take forty. Oh shit, my bad, sorry. Didn't realize I'd I'd messed it up that many times. Like, yeah, it was it was a bad, it was a funny afternoon, but wasn't funny when you think about it looking back. Yeah, you also get the people that take it too seriously. Because I remember again, same youth group. Someone wanted to shoot a short film as a, and they had to present something to a, a university or a college course that they wanted to get into, and they said, right, uh, like Dom, could you, like, you're kind of older looking. Do you mind being the like the older sort of father figure in this? And I'm like, yeah, sure. I'm only you know four years old, and you be what the fuck. <laughs> uh, and they, they said, right, you be this, you be that. And uh, one of the lines I had to read was, really, kiddo, you're going to pull that one on me, and. Uh, I don't know what it is. I said every time they just said stop. Is this amateur hour? Are we really doing it this way? <laughs> is this is this going. amateur? Yes, because I am an amateur. <laughs> I mean, at this point, I was a chef, <laughs> <laughs> not an actor. I'm a born thespian. So, that's why I work the Franco chef. <laughs> yes, that's why I am a sous chef. <laughs> chef, sorry, chef de partie. <laughs> I'm a born and bred thespian. That's why I cut carrots for a living. <laughs> this is why I make nachos and lentil soup for a living, and make dick jokes. It's a uh, it's a weird one. Like the, the the passion in filmmaking is so it's so fervent, and I I'm part of like filmmaking subjects. So I love the filmmaking process, and I love to understand more yeah. about what's going on. But uh, I think everybody at some point has had that idea of just like I'm going to start recording something. I'm going to start. I mean, the, it led to us making a podcast. But yeah, I think everyone has had that. You know, I'm going to go and make video essays on the internet, or I'm going to start recording myself. And some people make a living out of it. There's something that is very... Uh, I love the fact that we can, at the end of this, in like four hours when we're finished talking about random nonsense, we will have a thing. We will have a finished thing, or an almost finished thing that we can then just craft and mold, do the little like polishes on it, and then we will have a thing that we can give to people and say, here, we gave you, we made this thing, and now we give it to you. And I think there's something here that's quite a collection of us making <laughs> dick and art jokes. Here are four hours of my thoughts. You didn't ask for it, but here you go anyway. You know. <laughs> See, I always wanted to do one. If I ever did a YouTube channel, I had this dumb idea because I run. I watch too much comedy. I I listen to too many comedy podcasts. I watch too much, particularly Scottish comedy, and I wanted to have this idea. I wanted to. I had this idea for a, a kind of sketch or a video that would go up and it would be presented absolutely seriously. The thumbnail would be me, just kind of looking all uh, thoughtful and and you know looking off into the distance you know me looking all artsy and shit in the thumbnail yeah. but the video was just literally me the video would be titled my thoughts and inner monologues and it would just be me going 
<laughs> I am down to for film that the second the lockdown is over. I, I have the camera, I have the microphone, we can record. He, like, I can give you the, the microphones we have, we can use that for the the, uh, the, the the dubbing over of your fart noises, of your inner monologue. We can spend... Dude, like, I was going to make it up, I was going to change it to the duck noise, just doing the kind of... Oh, doing that kind of shit. I will spend 40 minutes rotating around you on a fucking rock with the camera just so we get enough footage that's usable for two minutes of mon of that video. I am so fucking down for that. Ladies, there, there is actually, if you're interested, a Jibberpish uh, YouTube channel which is used to host uh, season zero of the podcast. And uh, I get the feeling there'll be a video up there very, very soon. <laughs> yeah, but I've given that one away now. I want to do something different. No, we, we got to do it. We, we promised. I promised. I also had another sketch idea for the world's most incompetent police officer. Right, like, I have a file on my Google Drive that is just sketch ideas. We will go through this off mic because I would do one. Like, as much as I say we're going to do it because we promised it, I do want to hit some people with surprise sketches. Oh, yeah, dude. Because like, my head's just full of nonsense, especially <laughs> nowadays. This is this is, this is is the thing about filmmaking. This is why people get so into it is because you just sit there, you have a dumb idea, and you go, wouldn't it be funny if we film that? And you go, actually, that's pretty doable. We could do that. Uh, I have, like, next Wednesday off. This is why I enjoy it. This is... Yeah, and we're now in phase three of lockdown, so we can, you know, visit. Yeah. You I... can have visitors. How funny would it be if I just had the mask on, right? I had the mask and the gloves on, and I'm just going... <laughs> you don't see my mouth move, you just see the mask kind of puff out a little bit every so often. We we have the we have the face, we have the mask, but we still have you in uh what's the is the Michelangelo like the thinking man pose with the fist yeah. under the chin, but with the mask and the gloves on. <laughs> <laughs> right, we're doing this, this is happening right now. Um right, so we need to end the podcast right now to film something because it's the golden hour. We can get some really good shots and if we try if we rush yeah. like right now, we can go for it. Yeah, and I, I live we I live near the woods, so we can get plenty of cool shots there. Yeah. And uh, it will save us talking about a much more depressing subject, which is, I mean, we've talked a bit, a little bit about this, uh, this type of thing, where we've talked about criticism and cancel culture and stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I really want to just stand here and take a little bit of a swing at our current like press coverage of uh, Johnny Depp's slander lawsuit. Now I know that obviously we've all been locked down for four months. I think we passed like day one hundred just before we recorded the last podcast, which means we're now probably at day one hundred and twenty. Which is, I think uh, we're sitting at day 121 because it's been about three weeks since we recorded the last podcast. Yeah, and that it does suck. And I would give anything to have something else to talk about other than what I watched on Netflix and current coronavirus updates. But the 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 breakdown of a marriage is not it. And uh, watching Johnny Depp go through his slander lawsuit, I am disgusted at our news coverage of basically the worst moments in two people's lives. Um, so for those of you who don't know, Johnny Depp is taking the Sun, which is a newspaper here in the UK, to the court uh, for uh, calling him a wife beater after allegations made by Amber Heard, which was his one-time wife. Uh, they yep. went through uh, the usual kind of cancel cycle, but then uh, went to court because of Depp and Heard's divorce. And then evidence came out that Amber Heard was not the saint she claimed to be. And she also um, shot the bed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's in there as well. Uh, that's Amber Heard. She may have chopped off a chunk of his finger and also shat on the bed, which was apparently the moment Johnny Depp decided to file for a divorce, which, frankly, yeah, understandable. Um, and then I, I get the feeling that like we have uh, we we have a problem, and this is this is something that actually was pointed out to me by a friend of mine who came over from the United States, 
and uh, she wanted to see the UK. So we spent a couple of days traveling around, but she like was randomly picking up uh, newspapers and stuff just to see what we live like because you know she's an American. She's lived out on like in roughly the south and on the east coast for so long. Like she's that's who she is to the core, um, which makes it really weird that right now she would give anything to be out of America. But she <laughs> <laughs> it might be the fact she does COVID testing. Let's find out. But um, yep. she picked up newspapers and was just appalled at the level of uh, like tabloid news journalism and paparazzi and just this obsession we have with celebrity and uh, like I'm now seeing it I now like and now I get it it's like eight years too late uh, after she left for the last time but um yeah I, I I get it now I see why if you look at it from the outside when you stop and take a look back at what's actually going on with uh, this joint Depp case because as I say it is them going over the worst moments of their lives to prove in court that someone did something wrong. And when you see that being played out for this weird, ghoulish journalism, that it's just every detail of this becomes its own headline. Like, every statement made by Amber Heard about Johnny Depp and every statement by Johnny Depp and Amber Heard becomes a new article of its own. I just I just take a step back and think and look at what's going on and say, could you imagine if this was happening to your friend? Could you imagine if this happened to somebody you know? It's mm. horrifying. And I don't even like Johnny Depp that much. I mean, I, I like him as Captain Jack Sparrow. Absolutely yeah. fantastic role. Um, I was actually looking into it. Uh, like, the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie came out five years before Iron Man. And I think you could easily compare Johnny Depp as Captain Jack Sparrow to Tony Stark, uh, or Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. Yeah, I they're kind of comparable and they're but I'd say that they're yeah. both the bumbling idiot trope but actually is a, a genius well more along the lines of the, the idea of leading a like the the fact that Johnny Depp basically carried that franchise that's why there's five films with him and only like two or three with Orlando Bloom you know yeah like he's carrying a multi-billion dollar franchise five years before Iron Man comes out that's insane that that's just not a normal life uh, i don't think a normal person can lead that life and i don't think a normal person should be subjected to the not the scrutiny of like this should everyone should be subject to the scrutiny of the courts but not everyone mm-hmm. should be uh subject to the scrutiny of the tabloid if that makes sense yeah basically the gist of just the way you just said there was courts yes tabloids go fuck yourself yeah, definitely. And it's uh, it's just... You're watching a really shitty divorce being played out again for just the court, and I, I hate every second of it. It's just... It's really ghoulish. I just can't stand the news journalism covering it. I can't stand the... There's just a weird tone of voice people use, on, even on like the radio, when I'm hearing about this, and then you find it plastered all over Twitter when you go home from work and you're like this is this is what we this is what we choose to distract ourselves from a global pandemic from a uh you know i just try to figure out our history and our relationship with each other uh as far as like race relations are concerned this is what we choose to indulge in when we when we don't want to deal with that i just i feel bad about us in a way like i feel bad about civilization if that makes it's a bit much to to take from like a divorce but at the same time, like I, I stand by it. Like I don't like who we are right now. 
yeah, I, I, I get where you come from. I, for me, it was just more people seem to be very much more interested in, you know, which celebrities fallen out with which celebrity or which celebrities getting divorced as opposed to, you know, the very real threat of, you know, the black population of America being furtherly or further, you know, threatened and, you know, being at the heel of racial inequality or the very, very real threat of uh, the fucking C virus, coronavirus. Mm. Yet we are supposed to just go, oh, uh, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard are having a wee, are having a divorce, and they've got such a, a wacky a relationship. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's defamation court action going on as well. I, I'd rather, you know, see what I'd rather see what the response to, uh, well, what people have to say about Portland. Yeah. Excuse me, and the response to apparently yeah. England is very uh, England is on the cusp of developing a. A, a COVID uh, vaccine. I'd rather hear about that, but no, let's you know, let's, t- let's take five minutes over fucking days and read about Amber Turd and Johnny Dope. Yeah, like if you want to give us a distraction, you can still give us the content that we really need to know about with uh, Black Lives Matter protests, with the arrival of secret police in the fucking United States um, that apparently we're just there, just waiting for the deployment order, and mm-hmm. then you can give us those news stories, but you can give us the uplifting content, the distraction in that context. Like, we can find out about how, you know, as everyone's on lockdown, here are the people making life better for each other. Here are the people who are, you know, treating the wounded that come back from these protests after, you know, a bullet uh, or after, like, a rubber bullet hits someone in the head. These are the people that, like, trained to uh, help those people give us that content as a way of uplifting the spirits because all this is a distraction all this is is just something else to look at while we don't think about what's really going on out there and i want to see a bit more of uh i mean especially with this all being related to the sun the sun is a fucking trash newspaper they are they are the only newspaper to be basically locked out of a city in the uk uh for those of you who don't know there was a tragedy at liverpool football stadium and at one point many people died the sun covered it slagging off the Liverpool fans and the entire city of Liverpool refuses to buy the Sun to this day. That was 20 years ago. They just don't sell copies of the Sun in Liverpool. This is That is the level of trash we're discussing instead of something going on that matters, that we can distract ourselves on with good stories. You know, that we're looking at the dark side of the coin all the time. We could flip it over, find uplifting news there that's still relevant. It's still part of the coin. It's still part of the issue. But we can find mm-hmm. better things to occupy ourselves with. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, you you know my thoughts on you know celebrity status. I personally can give any less of a fuck about you know what the hell Robert Downey Jr. did. Like, cool, he was Iron Man. But if I ever meet him in the street, I'm not going to lose my shit. Yeah. I, I personally don't, I don't get the fascination with celebrity. Yeah, I get I get some people that's their lives. Cool. Mm-hmm. I, I personally can give less of a shit. And I'd rather be kept up to date about the important things, you know. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll skip over the story sport. of Charlie Theron's dog dying in favour of something else that might actually matter. I also yeah. I hope Charlie Theron's dog didn't actually recently die. <laughs> I've somehow, yeah. I've somehow predicted the future in some weird way. Like I, I hope that doesn't happen in the next couple of days. Like the podcast is in itself cursed. We know this to be true, but I hope yeah. I don't accidentally predict something. Yeah, I mean, no one wants a dog to die. 
I want to say I, I was hoping to find a joke where I'd be like, I don't know, man. <laughs> but I can't think of Kujo. There we go. Kujo, the dog from Stephen King. Yeah. yeah. Maybe those people, yeah. they'd be okay with that one. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll give you that one. But yeah, I, I think we, I just, I just need to rant about that. I haven't had everyone that I, I talked to couldn't give two shits either, but I needed to get that one off my chest. I just, I hate yeah. that this weird celebrity cult we have going on. And it just reminds me of that one episode of South Park where uh, they obsess over Britney Spears to the point of getting her to kill herself. But it's all part of a plan because it helps the crops grow. <laughs> some yeah. really weird spin on like Wicker Man or some shit like that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just thank you for letting me get that one off my chest. Um, yeah. no, I, I, no problem at all. I mean, this you've let me let me rant about you know, you know, quite a few things in this show. So <laughs> I really don't mind you know sharing the spotlight. One thing I have noticed, and I think you probably noticed it as well, during lockdown, do you find that your fuse is just shorter than it usually is? It's fucking for gone. Dumb shit. It is absolutely I I gone. I think I have the tiniest piece of detonation wire left so if that starts sparking i will just lose the rag extremely quickly <laughs> my, my fuse is we're not, going out as much as we, we're not you know going out into the world as much as we used to we're so not you working don't really out as much as we're not running to... we're not cycling we're not swimming yep. we're not actually getting anything out of our bodies we're just taking in all this we're... shit and it's just sitting there and festering yeah and you're kind of just building up all this vent up uh Built up, you're kind of just sitting there waiting for the opportunity to vent all this built up ang anger, mm. and it's over dumb shit. Like, uh, I was watching the Xbox event, and they showcased some phenomenal games, and uh, the the chat, the YouTube chat that I was watching go past it. The speed of light was just Xbox is awful, Xbox is awful. Game Pass is the worst deal in gaming, and I was just like, motherfucker, shit that would <laughs> never usually annoy me. But as soon as I seen it, I was like, dude, you realize that Xbox game pass is a fucking steal at 15 pounds a month yeah it, it, yeah and, it's just, and that it was before they threw shit. in the uh the like the, the gold package as well like where you could get the xbox game pass with gold subscription at the same mm. time it yeah is, and it, it was a steal, yeah it was a steal and like, even if it, even if there's games that you don't want wait a month it'll be updated but yeah as soon as i seen that I was like, that got me annoyed to the point where uh I spoke to my brother. I was like, "Can you believe this shit?" And he just went, "Dude, doesn't matter." <laughs> and, it, and he, just, I went, "Oh, is this?" And he went, "It doesn't fucking matter." And, I, and it took me a while before I just went, "You know what? Yeah, it, it doesn't matter." Yeah, like, I think that I might just have really... been like a reflection on one of my things that I we talked about this at the start of twenty twenty. What we learned from twenty nineteen, and I'm pretty sure one of the things I put down there was, "You don't matter. You're. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters. It's okay. It's fine." And I think we've yeah. somehow managed to regress for, into forgetting that. Yeah, I think I think for me it's just like I said, you're not getting you're you're not you're not running, you're not swimming. You can go out cycling, but only to a certain degree. You're not allowed to go out to the gym for long. We've been we've been stuck indoors for so long that the things that would never usually annoy you start to annoy you. And there's the brilliant Scottish uh, expression that just comes out whenever you're in a bad mood. And particularly if you live with someone and they start doing something, you're like, for fuck's sake, he's doing it again. And they're just sitting reading the paper and you just shout for no reason, just fucking look at you. What are you doing? <laughs> and he's just like reading a paper. I, he uh... fucking knows it annoys me and he does it all the time. <laughs> I, I That's probably the, the, the best and worst part of Scottish uh, culture is that we are designed, we just live together 
and we just say what we want to each other. Like, there's almost no holding back anything in a Scottish household. It is, if yep. it's if it's there, it's going to be addressed, and it's is great and it's bad at the same time. But yeah. actually, just on the subject of gyms, open, so. apparently, I don't think they're open on the 29th. They were supposed to open up again on the 29th, and that's still not being confirmed when everything else has been. So what I'm quite... You cut out a bit. What's I'm, opening on the 29th? Uh, gyms. Just we're talking about ah, working right. out and stuff, and I don't think we have uh, got the all clear that gyms will be open on the 29th, and normally it should have been given by now. Our conferences normally happen on a Thursday, I think. And uh, I think we went without having an official mention of whether or not the the gyms would be back open. And I gotta say, I'm I was absolutely crushed by that news. I really was. I uh, I had a plan. I I've been asked about it. Like my my parents obviously noticed that I'm not the same as I was before the lockdown started. And they said, uh, "What's uh, how are you getting on with no gym?" And I said, "Bad. I really am. I'm not enjoying it. I don't like uh, sitting around waiting for the gyms to open. I don't like this." Uh, this lull that I'm in and I was working so hard to get myself out of a previous lull then to go back into one it really hurts and then being uh, told you know the end is in sight like I genuinely have texted people with uh, excited glee that it was only like 21 days until the gyms are open again like I was really excited and then all of a sudden the issue that uh, maybe not uh, like yeah it's quite devastating so I'm I'm gonna just keep going with the at home workouts as much as I can but nothing beats the real thing yeah i mean for me it's i can do i can go running uh, i tried to do a 5k it ended but didn't end great i felt you know that was going to spew my lungs out mm-hmm. uh, i can do certain workouts basically i've been burning through the the rugby style workouts try to keep myself in any kind of match shape i'm nowhere near as fit as i used to be i need just rugby training for that i need mm. drills and shit but yeah you never know. You never realize how much you're gonna miss something until it fucks off a little yeah. bit. And I'm definitely missing, uh, not just the coaching and the 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 training of rugby, just the kind of banter and yeah. You miss the team. Yeah. You miss the, the, the camaraderie. Yeah. yeah, without a doubt. But let's be fair. Right now, how rearing are you to go? Oh, dude! I if someone throws a, if someone passes me a rugby ball, I'll fucking tackle anybody. I am I am dreaming of deadlifting. Uh, it's not a joke. I have dreamt of deadlifting back to my previous best, and I yeah. am so fucking ready to go. If you, if you say it's open in five minutes, I'm going to the gym in five minutes with the remainder of my Jack Daniels in hand. Like, fuck you. We're doing this right now. See, I, I don't know about you, but since training has been taken off the table for me, I've been finding myself doing just odd jobs around the house. Uh, like, for no apparent reason, the house is spotless just because I've been tidying shit up. Because <laughs> I've got nothing else to fucking do. I, I, I've not really... I'm waiting on my university to drop the guidelines for my dissertation. I'm waiting for uh, them to give me more... The unit to give me more information about classes, what's going to happen next year. I'm still waiting on the rugby guys getting back to me about when rugby can resume. So I've just kind of got all this energy doing nothing. So like my fucking uh, room is spotless. Kitchen, living room, all this shit. Spotless. My my place is about the same. I I, uh, I don't run a particularly tidy ship, but I I'm, I haven't stopped working. So even though I have more downtime, the downtime is just me shutting off mentally. Uh, but although I will say, when I do clean, I fucking go for it. Um, I'm working yeah. my way through the kitchen at the moment, and that is going to be spotless by the time I'm done. Um, but again, like it's just I'm just not doing it. It's a it's a weird thing of uh, it's always a thing of like when you're a young boy, you're always with all boys can't clean. Boys can clean, we just don't want to. Okay, we're very good at cleaning. We just don't want to. 
if that makes any sense. Oh, that, that makes absolute sense. The only reason I keep shit as clean as I do is because I've worked in several kitchens in the central belt of Scotland. And the level of cleanliness that is needed for there just mm. gets instilled in your installed in your brain. So you are just I, I know how to fold tea towels. No no one should know how to fold tea towels. <laughs> tea towels be... go in a pile in the corner. That's where they go. Exactly. I know how to fold tea towels. I know how to fold t shirts so that they can go they can stack better. I know shit that I shouldn't really need to know, but I do. Yeah. And so that's where my quite high standards of cleanliness come from. Uh, so I think we'll just we'll push off from this and go somewhere else. Just somewhere somewhere yeah. nicer. I, I think it just it's good to get the lot hit that little vent button and just let the anger out a little bit with everything that's I, going I, on. I, if I may, I can transport us to the to a realm that will make us forget about all this anger and forget about all the, all this lockdown. Ooh. I recently finished Critical Role Campaign One. Interesting. I, you may, you may detect a, a slight sense of pride in my voice here, but that's because there's 373 hours in campaign one. I did that shit in about six months. Shit. I'm very proud of myself. I'm very proud of myself. But I, I put that more down to I had a lot of work to do and I had a lot of traveling back and forth to do. So just popping in podcasts and just going back and forth between places, that helps. But yeah. And I kind of wanted to give my own, my thoughts and opinions on uh, Critical Role as a whole, and specifically Campaign 1, because there are some mighty, mighty high highs and some very, very low lows mm-hmm. for uh, this season. Go for it, man. Uh, just allow me to take a drink here, because I think I'm going to be talking for a little bit here. Yeah, uh, this feels like a monologue coming. So take a quick yeah. victory, pre-victory sip and uh, join us when you're ready. So, Critical Role Campaign 1, set in the realm of Taldori, written by, I'll say written masterfully by Matt Mercer. Uh, there's a reason why Matt Mercer is heralded as one of the best DMs in the game right now, because he has a passion for the game, he genuinely knows what he's talking about, you can tell that there is a knowledge that he's built up over years of playing the game that just shines through in every way, shape or form that it can and you can tell that despite the fact that he's been doing this for what must be close to about I think it started in 2016 no 2015 because they just celebrated the five year anniversary earlier this year so five years and well over you know 2000 hours worth of content between one shots between campaign one between campaign two between uh, you know other guest led uh, campaigns Q&As, conventions, Q&A, channels, yeah. stuff like that. Starting yeah. an entire company just based around Critical Role. Despite all this, Matt Mercer still fucking loves this game and he still loves telling the story with the help of these his, his friends and these other sort of voice acting luminaries like Laura Bailey, Travis Willingham, Talison Jaffe, Liam O'Brien, uh, Marisha Ray and uh, Ashley Johnson when she's not working. Because uh, <laughs> That's one thing I noticed. Ashley Johnson's character in season one it's probably my favorite character because she is probably the second strongest character in the whole campaign but she's a very bubbly happy happy cleric which one's she again uh pike right got you yeah fucking love pike i think she's one of the best characters in the in the show uh oddly enough the second strongest character in there despite being a gnome and obviously the first strongest character is uh grog the you know, the Goliath barbarian, he, he's, he's the big fella, he's got all the X's and he'll fucking fuck you up. Uh, 
yeah, I fucking love uh, Pike. Uh, genuinely, uh, she's definitely a fan favorite, but my favorite character in in the show, just because she, uh, without a doubt, enhances every scene that she's in. I think she brings something new to it by being more of a a listening type character, not as upfront and abrasive as other characters. Yes, but uh, yeah, so favorite character there. But uh, so it's set in Taldori, and uh, the cast is just as I told you. Originally, they had the member of the another member by the name of Orion Akaba, who played a character called Tiberius Stormwind, who was there for twenty seven episodes, who left mysteriously. The only people that know why he left was the, obviously the people that he was playing the game with at the time, and two other people at Geek and Sundry where Critical Role started before Critical Role became its own channel. They worked with Geek and Sundry, which is Felicia Day's uh, channel that originally hosted all the, the nerdy shit uh, before they kind of started doing They started doing less on that channel, which is a weird thing to say. Uh, but yeah, this guy, Ryan Akaba, he disappeared. No one knows why. And thinking back on it, because I went back and listened, watched the kind of highlight reel just to kind of refresh some of the things in my head. He did say some weird, creepy shit. Mm. But there was one point where uh, Laura Bailey's character, Vexalia, is detailing how they are going to progress in a certain mission. And uh, Orion Akaba just randomly bursts out, oh, and my character at this point, while she's talking, just has a half job. Okay. And, That's and an interesting take everyone on... Has, uh, everyone, has everyone has that response. She's kind of, hey, okay. Uh, doesn't do much, but sure. Moving and, uh, swiftly on uh, from your weird lizard half chub, because he is a lizard. Yeah, the weird dragonborn half chub. Yeah. And you can just see the fury in Travis Willingham's face. is like, dude, my wife was talking. You said you got a half chub. I know. <laughs> Travis Willingham's a big dude. It would not yeah, piss him off. 60. Yeah, it would not piss him off. Even I... though he probably is. I think he defines that. Was it the cinnamon roll thing? He is six, six foot plus and can deadlift over 400 pounds, but he's probably a pretty cool guy. It's uh, it's a weird one because I, I actually really like uh, his his character. I really enjoy it when you have this weird old cranky dragon wizard showing up and just yeah. like moaning and complaining about all the little shit that's going on in the world. And you're like, yeah, that's me in ten years. That's <laughs> yeah. I like his character. Cool character, but uh, as we found out this year, cool characters can have you know shitty people behind them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he kind of disappeared, and the the group kind of just paves over that. Very, very quickly. Very, very quickly. They just kind of go, oh, he's he's in the game for a little bit, and as soon as they get to episode 64 or something, uh, they kind of just paced over Tiberius. Like, oh, he was in the game. He's not in the game anymore. And they just continue on as the fuck all happened. Uh, so, yeah, apart from that, there's not there's not many changes to the, the gameplay. The game is just very standard. Or very standard RPG fare. Very homebrewed, because... I think they originally played on a Pathfinder system and then they switched over to D&D when they, they took the show on on the internet. And it's just, you know, it's one of those one of those shows that when you watch, you understand the fandom behind it. You understand why people are just so in, into the show. It's because it kind of has a bit of everything for everybody. It has the engaging storyline for people who are into the lore and the background of a... Of a a show it has the engaging characters it has the funny characters it has the intense combat it has the very very intense emotional scenes i have to say mainly helmed by liam o'brien and laura bailey with their characters vexalia and vaxeldan the half elven uh twins they seem to be kind of at the forefront of the uh the, the emotional, emotional scenes yeah. 
which is a good thing and a bad thing in my mind because it kind of for me as i noticed this this was at the second last episode that all the emotional scenes are mainly at those two uh, marisha ray her character keyleth has a she just explodes at one point early in the season because the everyone's kind of backbiting the game's not really going the way or the campaign mission that they're doing isn't really going the same way so her character keyleth just fucking blows up everybody's just saying you fuckers are doing this and i thought that's a cool moment but that's the only one she has mm. in the entire series uh, sam regal's character scanlan he has a very emotional moment when he leaves because he's sick of being the the jokey character he's sick of being the the jester and uh, again he has maybe one two emotional moments then you go to Liam and Laura's characters, they get so many emotional spotlight moments that it kind of makes you think, you know, share the stage, you know? Yeah, but I, I think you can have, if, if we had every character having just a series of big emotional, like, heartfelt moments, you'd wonder what the, where the game is and why it's not just like a, an audio drama yeah. rather than, you know, yeah, some an improvised uh, gaming show, really. And I should just say, th these do sound like nitpicks, but that's because that's what they are. I can't really point out something and say, that is fuck awful, why are you doing that? Yeah. Because there's no part of the show that I would change. I'd leave it 100% exactly the way it is, because as a D&D &D show, I don't think... It's not the only D&D &D show. Don't, don't, oh, get no. me, don't get me confused. In this. There's, there's a D20 Dames, there's a Rivals of Waterdeep, there's Acquisitions Incorporated, the fucking OG D&D &D show Acquisitions Incorporated. There's so many other fucking D&D shows out there, but I think Critical Role... I just remembered that I used to listen to Acquisitions Incorporated. I really, like, out of nowhere, just remembered it, yeah. I think it was great. Uh, that's where I found out about Patrick Rothfuss, and uh, I started reading his books, like, In the Name of the Wind, and uh, there was another one, but the name escapes me. But, yeah, I, I'm not saying that Critical Role is the only D&D show. There are other fucking superb... And they're not uh, the first as well. That's one thing that I want to put... There's been others who've done it before... But I think what Critical Role did was, even if I say I don't think they might not be the ones to do it best, there might be someone out there who's really crushing it. We just don't know about them yet. But mm. they did it to such a high standard and so consistently over the years. It's a marvel. It really like I've looked yep. into the show. I'm like 18 episodes in, but I'm struggling for some reason. Although I love Podbean and that's how we host our podcast. And that's how we get it out there to all you guys. I use that app to get the Critical Role podcast, and it struggles to get those older episodes for some reason. So I, I'm a big fan of it, and I'm getting there, but I'm not getting there as quick as I'd like to. But we've looked into, I've looked into the production side of things as well, just figuring out how they do certain things and how they make things happen uh, for like a live stream thing that becomes a podcast and try to figure out how that all works and how it all comes together. And it is a marvel that it works as well as it does. They have a very talented cast and crew behind them, and I think that's what helps them be almost the kind of gold standard for D&D shows. Yes, because they do it. They do it so they execute it so well, and it is performed and acted so well. And I think that's what helps it because the the characters that are being portrayed are being played by veteran actors, and they know how to bring life to the character. They know what to do with the character, and through their actions in the game, other people relate to it. Yeah, um, and I think that I think that's why people latched onto it so quickly, and I think that's why it's become. I don't like using the word rabid fan base, fan base, but I think that's why the fan base is so passionate. Yeah. I'll say passionate instead of rabid because every little piece of Critical Role merchandise, news, or uh, media that comes out, people just jump on immediately. Uh, there was... Because I'm starting my own D&D campaign thanks to Critical Role. Critical Role reinvigorated my need to DM because I just thought, you know what? 
I want to do that. I want to write a story. I want to, you know, invite people into my brain for four hours every couple of weeks or something just to play some D&D. And I looked on a Critical Role shop or store.critroll.uk and I seen this uh, this dice scroll thing that you'd store your dice in and you use it as a mat to roll your dice. And I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. I'll come back later and order that. Two hours later, it completely sold out. <laughs> so it has produced a, a fan base. And it is, in my opinion, it deserves the fan base because it is a damn good uh, RPG show. Yeah. That it's... said, I wouldn't call it, I wouldn't say it is absolutely untarnished. There are some moments where I think they could improve. I And mainly they fall to. Like I said, the car- some of the characters maybe get too much of the limelight, and that is uh, Laura Bailey's character and Liam O'Brien's character. I think they just steal a wee bit too much of the show for me. I think I would have liked other people getting a chance to shine, and some some of them do because uh, you get at the start of it, you get uh, Percy played by Talson Jaffe. You get his arc with the Briarwoods. You get Grog fighting his uncle Kevdak for the right to lead the herd. Grog actually get... gets a lot of good, like little moments. It's not all. It's not yeah. always about him, but he is a great driving force because he is a barbarian. He is a simple fist fighter at some points. Like he is just, he's up yeah. for the challenge, and he's always one. He's always one putting the first foot forward, in a way. And he gets little yeah. moments like that. But I don't know how it progresses later on. Yeah, um, I think the further you go into, because there's always there's always those little side quests. I call them the main. So the mainstay of all the campaigns is just, and the campaign and the first part of the campaign, they're trying to take down the Chroma Conclave, which is a group of dragons. Uh, before that, they are trying. They were de- the Briarwoods. They were kind of the main big bad of one thing, and that was a very Percy heavy uh, part of the campaign. But even at that, there was still a lot of uh, Vexalia in that. And then you go to the Chroma Conclave, and they're visiting all these different places to try and rally support. And uh, Vixalia got her own little part, but even at that, there were still all these other character-specific moments that she kind of forced her way into. I'm not saying, like, this sounds kind of harsh because I'm saying share the stage, but just I just think it would have been a bit better if you let that character deal with it by themselves. Like, right, you weren't okay. really needed in that. It sounds like a nitpick. Again, I'm just trying to find things that I could say. I didn't really like that too much. But yeah, that is all I'll say on that. They, they, there is not really enough focus given to some of the other characters because towards the end of the of campaign two or sorry campaign one i've built i'm three episodes into campaign two uh, at, at the end of campaign one you barely hear anything from pike you barely hear anything from scanlan you barely hear anything from grog or uh keyleth it's all just you know vex vax and percy it's those main three because they're dealing with quite a lot of the shit that's out there I was going to say, is that relative to the, like their importance to the final storylines? Like, are they the main people who have to deal with the issue, or do they just happen to be the ones who mouth off or who speak uh, up during situations? One of them is if if Axel Dan Lemo Brand's character, he has a very pivotal role in the in the whole show. That I won't spoil for anyone out there. I know you're not really too bothered about spoilers, but if you're going to listen, going to listen to campaign one of Critical Role, I'll leave uh, if Vax's main role in the show a uh, spoiler free. Percy and Vex, they do play somewhat of a role in it, but they're not the main focus. I think the party as a whole should have been the main focus, but right. these two kind of steal the limelight more often. Okay. 
because I was wondering maybe like if if it's if it's if it's relevant, if it's important, like if it's if it's appropriate um, for them to have the majority of the time, then it is what it is. But if it yeah. just so happens that they're kind of forcing themselves into each scene, yeah, it, it, it kind of seems like that way to me. There's it just seems like there's a lot of people. There, there's some. There's one point where uh, Ashley Johnson's character Pike was having an emotional moment, or emotional scene with her uh, grandfather. Then the rest of the cast is kind of butted in. I was like, wouldn't it have been better if she just had that conversation by herself? But then like, that's just that. This is just me. This is how I would have done it. And again, they did it fucking perfectly. They did it way better than I could. I'm not saying that my way is the way it should go. I'm just saying I would have handled it differently. But absolutely, the way that you did it was good. I just would have changed some things. Uh, but yeah, apart from that, I, I'm struggling to think of you know nitpicks that I have for the show. Uh, every single. Adventure that they had was just fucking spot on. Some of the shit that they had to do was genuinely intense and gripping, and made you want to just keep listening. And to the point where I listened, I think my record was uh, two episodes in a day. Damn. Uh, but yeah, because I just thought I, I need to fucking listen. I need to listen to the second part of this because I think it was the fight with uh, Grog's uncle. The first part because they start the fight with Kevdak, and Kevdak has a, a very very powerful set of gauntlets. And I was like, I listened to the first part. The fight happens. And I was like, Dude, I need to find out what happens. I need to fucking, I need to fucking do this. So I put on the, the second episode. I think I was in uni that day, so I had my wireless headphones and I had one headphone in listening to my lecture. I was like, I just need to know what happens. And that's 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 I think the beauty of the show is the storytelling just hooks you in immediately. Yeah, it's a it's a very gripping story in a way. Like there's yeah. everything about it, like from the, the the DM, everything to the actors involved, the characters, the storyline itself. Like everything is in, designed keep you tied into the world and i think that's why it develops such a strong connection with its fans that they want to stay in that world for as long as possible and any connection back to it be it merch be it stories be it news uh draws them in immediately because it's a chance to go back there to that world yeah. without a doubt uh, so like, I said, like there's no point in the the show that's boring uh the guest characters they bring in like mary elizabeth mcglynn uh they bring in uh, Wilfred L from Batman Beyond. They bring in uh, Joe Manganiello for a couple of episodes. All right. Uh, who's he? Uh, him and uh, Travis Willingham start this group called Jocks Mockinger. Right. I, dude, I fucking want one of those. I want one of those t-shirts. But again, I got into the critical. I got in a campaign one about three years after it ended. So I couldn't find a jock smoking a t-shirt anywhere. If anyone who's listening has a jock smoking a t-shirt and a and a large, and you want to get rid of it, send it to me. I will I will pay for it gladly. Uh, but uh, I'm trying to think. Who else is in the show? They have uh, Felicia Day. They have Will Wheaton. Yeah, there's just like quite heavy hitting uh, guests that they get in. Uh, so there's there's never really a dull moment. Even when you think there might be a dull moment, there's always good uh, character interactions. There's always little. There's funny NPCs that Matt Mercer voices, or they'll go and do quests for the Slayer's Take, and they'll go and fight fucking monsters, and that'll be a, a hell of a thing to watch. And uh, I think if I had to say one thing about the storytelling, it's not really about the story itself. It's more about how Matt... In fact, no, this is not really about anything to do with the storytelling. I have no fucking idea where I'm going with that. <laughs> uh, the, next point, the next point I want to make, again, it's a little nitpick. Uh, and I understand why Matt DMs like this, but it's how Matt DMs the game. He is very, very lenient and very, very uh, quick to acquiesce 
to some of the group's uh, requests and quick to just go, yeah, sure, you can do that. Uh, yeah, it, it's cool. Whereas, I think if you, I think if they played offline, I think Matt might be a bit more cutthroat. Just go, nah, uh, you're not doing that. You never said you were going to do that. You can't just retcon it in. But I think yeah, the there are DMs who would call you out and little little quirks and stuff like. Well, you never said yeah. you had your sword out when you made that attack, so you attacked with your fists. It's like just assume I have my sword out. Goblins appeared. I have my sword out. Fuck off. Yeah, there was one though, one where I say that he was a bit too lenient, and uh, where uh, someone said I cast this spell at this spell level, and he goes, "Oh, cool." Rose damage. Ah, uh, fuck! I totally said to you that I was going to roll that at fourth level, not third level. And he says, "Well, you never said that." Oh, but I totally did though. And he went, "Yo, okay, I'll let you away with it this time." I just thought, I get why you're doing that because you need to, you need to strike that balance between being a stickler for the rules and being entertaining. So maybe you'd be a bit more lenient. Yeah, it, it is a tricky balance sure you need to make it entertaining. I could see that being an issue, but I, I mean, it depends how you fall on it because. For some people, like, yeah, I guess it's okay, it's fine. Or people who might know that it is an entertainment product, it's not supposed to be a hardcore campaign, that yeah. might they might accept that. But there might be some others who are like, no, I, I came here for a D&D. Like, you, you did not follow the rules of D&D. You fucked up, you know? I think it's just for me that when, I, um, when, I, when I've ever played D&D, I've never really had leniency. It's always just been, that's what you rolled. And be like, oh, but can I do this? And like, well, you didn't say it at the start, so you're not getting to do it now. That's just how I've always played D&D. And then when I started uh, listening to Critical Role and Matt Mercer was just going, oh, that dice, it's kind of skewed, it's kind of stuck on the edge, you can re-roll that if you want. As soon as I heard that, I just came in, holy shit, you sure? Like, <laughs> Bro, well, the dice clearly says four, and you're saying because it's kind of skewed on the edge of the box, you're going to let me roll it? Yeah, okay, this is weird. Hmm. Uh, or with the fire, with the spell, and it's like, oh, I, I totally meant to cast that at fourth level. I told you I was going to cast it at fourth level. Like, yeah, sure, whatever. Uh, uh, dude, what are you doing? But then you realise that you need to strike that balance. You need to just maybe bend the rules a bit for the sake of putting out something that's entertaining instead of being an absolute stickler to the rules. And of course, it kind of goes back to the rule of cool. Like you kind of let your characters bend the rules a little bit if it means your character, your yeah, player characters get more out of the game, and that that's fine. But personally, for me, it was just weird seeing a D and D that was as lenient as Matt Mercer was. Yeah, and that kind of if I to, like, I don't think I could put a number on how much of on a, you know, I couldn't give a rating because I think whatever rating I give it isn't good enough because it can't say ten out of ten because I think it deserves more. Mm. Uh, I think it's just, I think it's just a fantastic show, and if you want to get into D and D, I think listening to Critical Role will help you essentially be a better character, uh, be a better player character. Or be a better DM because definitely listening to it are some things where, that I've picked up on, you know, definitely maybe being a bit more descriptive or being a bit more uh, laid back with certain things and maybe not forcing things too much, maybe being a bit more adaptive. Or if you are being a, a player character, how to be a better character and how to immerse yourself in the game a bit more. So, not only am I, not only would I say is, is it good and entertaining, it also kind of teaches you a bit more about the game. And uh, it also kind of teaches you that it's okay to play against character type sometimes, particularly more in season two from what I'm uh, reading in season two. It's okay to play against character type because in season one, campaign one, 
things are very stereotypical. All elves, all elves speak like they are high-born English. Everything is fancy, and all the all the all the uh, dwarves they all speak like they're uh, chain smokers from Glasgow. And, uh, but everything gets quite stereotypical there. But in, in campaign two, everything's a bit more. You get American dwarves, you get Scottish elves, you get German humans. Uh, so just it kind of teaches you if you want to make a cool character and it's viable in the game, do it. So yeah, would wholeheartedly recommend D. Uh, I would wholeheartedly recommend D and D anybody, but specifically if you're looking for a podcast, Critical Role, you you could not go cannot go wrong with a bit of Critical Role. Well, I'm impressed you managed to get to the end of campaign one because say I am 18 episodes in at most and I've just met the Slayer's Take and I am already like, damn, this is this is tough going and the idea that there's Maybe, I think there's like 60 odd episodes to get to the end of, or maybe more than that, to get to the end of season one. I don't uh, actually know the numbers. What episode are you on? 18. 18. Uh, dude, you're about, you're about 90 odd episodes away for the end. There it is. Immediately my brain just goes, ah, shit. Like, I am... 115 like, episodes in season one. Shit. Okay, I mean, like, on the one hand, that's great to know that I have, like, an almost unlimited, never-ending supply of entertainment, but that is something that, like, as much as I'd recommend it, I always give that little thing of, by the way, this will take the rest of your life. Yeah. This is like and reading Game of Thrones. Yeah, it's like writing Game of Thrones. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I will say that it's not for everybody, because there, uh, there are some moments that are just pure cringe. Like, uh, there was a point a part that I was telling you about, I texted you about it because I uh, I said something, I had one of those kind of blurt out loud moments, uh, I was out, uh, out taking my dog for a walk around the street and uh, it was the part at the end of series one where a huge character loss has just happened and uh, Laura Bailey's character Vixalia is dealing with the aftermath of this and she's she, and Laura Bailey as Vex just blurts out on the screen I feel like I'm losing a part of my soul. And I just went, right, Hen, calm down. <laughs> out, out, middle of the street. There yeah. are some cringy moments yeah. in there, but if you get past the cringe and realise that it's just a bit fun, yeah, you'll get into it a bit more. And I can I can say without a doubt that is a hard barrier to overcome because I I play Pathfinder, I play a bit of D&D every now and again. I'm not the kind of guy that gets heavily into the role-playing. I don't do accents. I don't, I don't do, you know much to differentiate a character's voice from my voice that all my characters sound like me even the occasion where i played a female character they just fucking sound like me <laughs> uh, i played a half elf ranger and, and uh, the, my gm at the time said uh, so what does your character sound like i went this <laughs> there, and you went, you're not changing your accent at all no nah, man you know i don't do accents <laughs> there's uh I, I get there's always like one little thing that stands out to you for me i um I found an issue with uh, there's a one point I say Grog is a he's an interesting in fist fighting so he gets into like a fight club situation and uh, the, the the time that they're in honors strength and a, a war god and is uh, all about ma- you know standing your own two feet and you know swinging your punches from there and everyone in the party everyone who isn't Grog is some kind of magic user so they have a little bit of distrust going there but they keep trying to force feed or force away or like try to trick the way around giving him uh, special abilities that might help him win the fight. And there's a, a whole thing in uh, D&D kind of culture about not metagaming. Like, you shouldn't use information, you know, outside of the narrative to influence your decision in the narrative. 
But I found it really, really frustrating that no one was willing to, maybe not metagame, but just infer from the context that you're in a, a town that values strength and honour, uh, <laughs> especially when it comes to martial status, and yet you're trying to underhandedly win uh, fights in some weird weird arcade or weird uh, arcane magic uh, ritual. You guys should really know what you're, you know, just read the room in a weird way. You know, read the read the dwarven city that you're standing in. Yeah, I, I remember uh, I remember that point. That did kind of annoy me because at the same time, you know, it's a test of strength, let them just do the fight in the arm. But then what uh, I think Scanlan starts uh, singing and giving them inspiration, I thought that's pretty funny. I, yeah. I, I thought that was pretty cool, I dug that. <laughs> and I, uh, yeah. Laura Bailey's character flashing the uh, the, car- the guy that uh, Grog was fighting, I thought that's pretty fucking funny because you imagine a guy just sitting there looking at some you know half elf or half naked half elf chick, then just Grog socking him in the jaw. That was a pretty funny visual. It's a uh, it's just one of the things of like sometimes you get it right and sometimes you get it wrong, and you just got to kind of try and gloss over the parts where they get it wrong, uh, even if it's just like a personal taste type of thing, and just mm-hmm. roll with it because it's uh, it, I'd say the story is definitely think. worth it. Oh, roll with it. Ah, ah, very nice. Well done. Uh, uh, Aren't you fucking proud of yourself? <laughs> you want to know the honest answer to that? No. no. <laughs> Too bad. Uh, Too really bad. You go now to the special level of hell for people who enjoy puns. It's yeah. The, the worst part of that is you're stuck with people who enjoy puns. Oh, yeah. There is no other torture. It's just you in a room full of people who enjoy puns. You're all getting on each other's I, nerves. I have left uh, group chats and I have uh, left Twitch streams halfway through where I've been really enjoying them, but the minute the streamer makes a pun, I'm out. It's weird that you have such a visceral reaction to it, and it, it's puns. so standard across the board, though. Everyone, yeah. like you, in or you're out. You're either like at ah, finger guns, or you're like, I will walk out this fucking room right now and never speak to you again. I will, I will break this room. I will destroy this room with you in it. I hate puns, man. I, I think they're. I will accidentally make a pun, but I'll go from haha to just, oh god, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> yeah, that's the only time someone who hates puns, like, if they can't help themselves, yeah, I've got to make the joke, but I then immediately have to be self-deprecating about the fact that I made the joke afterwards. Yeah. That's the only acceptable way for people who hate puns to make puns. But uh, speaking of enjoying things, I uh, recently watched the Bloodywood documentary, and Bloodywood is a band we've talked about quite a bit on this uh, the podcast, because it's great to hear a new take on heavy metal and Bloodywood comes at us from India and just the the fact they describe themselves as Punjabi street metal is just the exact way I would describe them to someone else um, and they have been working their way through releasing some new songs uh, they released Yad which was a fantastic uh, song about loss, they are a band who have a very uh, constructive way of looking at mental health and they want to start discussions and they're very good at doing that with uh, great lyrics but they, uh, they made a documentary about them just rising up through the ranks and just becoming, uh, like, starting off in, like, a weird little apartment and then just working away at it, grinding away, making, uh, like, covers and music videos and trying to do their own work as well at the same time. And then just becoming this weird kind of, like, semi-viral sensation on the internet. Like, they're, they're now known widely in metal uh, circuits, but also, like, them talking about how lucky they have to be to be uh, just viral in India. Like, there's... A billion people in India there are millions of social media accounts they're all competing for attention and then you know what are the odds that you as a heavy metal band make it in a country that is not well known for heavy metal 
and that people don't associate or look out for uh, heavy metal acts coming from India. And they, they talk a lot about, like, the, the they got lucky sometimes. They just they got found by some article in America or they got a retweet from somebody in Bollywood, of all places, uh, because somebody, it's just some Bollywood star that I've never heard of, but apparently has a couple million followers on Instagram. It just says, I found these guys, check them out, they're pretty cool. And all of a sudden, their career just skyrockets. And uh, they have a great uh, documentary about it, and it's just... 90 minutes, uh, most of which covers their uh, European leg of their of a world tour. I think they joked about it being a world tour, but just in Europe. Um, they went to Germany for a little bit, then France, over the UK, back into like, the Netherlands, and then back to Germany for a Wacken Open Air Festival, which is the fucking mecca of metal. Oh yeah. And they are probably the first, I'm going to just take a wild guess and say there's no other Indian band has performed at Wacken Open Air. Yeah, um, I, I, I think they're in rarefied air. I can't see many other, unless some, you know. There's been some, somewhere, 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 somewhere has been from India and has, like, played, and it's like, oh, technically it's me. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, great, thanks to the technicality now. The, the honour doesn't go to Bollywood because it's weird to see them have to rise so quickly to the occasion. That's like, you you see the, the live performances at Wacken, which is, actually makes up the last 15 minutes of uh, the documentary is just the, the live footage and just occasional comments from them about how they thought the show was going as it's happening and um, they reveal the fact that they've never actually played live before and they have like 10 weeks to make it to one of the biggest metal festivals in the world so they start like rehearsing like crazy they just like we didn't know what to do we just booked a room and just started playing fake gigs then worked our way into like booking a small gig in our hometown and then flew to the opposite end of India to play a, tour, a show there just because we'd be out of our comfort zone, maybe hoping we'd have to play like a slightly more hostile audience to kind of get a feel for how that would feel. Then we come back to play a big concert back home and then they go out to Europe. And it's like, that's, that's insane that you go that fast. Uh, but I think they just, someone at like Wacken's booking office just saw the videos that they'd made and just said, hey, you guys want to come play the show? Because we'll give you a, a tent. You know, uh, I guess we go for it. And like one of them wasn't sure. And immediately the other two, like the metalheads in the group, heard about it and were like, we are going to play that show. I don't care if it kills us. We are playing that fucking show. We, <laughs> we'll figure it out on the way. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll iron out the, the kinks. But at the same time, we're doing the show. Yeah. <laughs> The, uh, the but the documentary is them ironing out the kinks, and it's it's like really it's it's very heartwarming and it's uh, it's kind of soppy and emotional in certain places because you're like you realise that this um, the way you feel about metal is the way that a lot of people feel about metal, which is great. It's a good thing to realise like it's something that you may not realise until you're in your first concert to realise that you're not alone in your love of this weird angry music that you can find hundreds if not thousands of people who will maybe not agree with everything that you like but will yeah. feel the same way generally and uh, seeing the camaraderie and community and just uh, like them having just that gut reaction to the fact that people are getting the lyrics from their songs tattooed on themselves in like 20 different languages They're like that's amazing that we yeah. never we, we, we just were, we were strumming around playing with guitars one day in our uh, in our like spare room of our apartment and we never saw this coming and it's like oh wow these guys are really they're real people they're really humble it's quite nice 
I say I'll, I'll not spoil it too much. I'd recommend it to everyone. Uh, I say we're big fans of Bollywood. Um, I have the merch coming on the way. It's uh, any day now, any day now. Um, yeah, but they sold I it. Went to buy some Bollywood merch, but the minute I went to buy it, all of it, all of it was fucking sold out. Yeah, it's all sold out now, which is a fucking. It must be a great feeling for people, uh, band, uh, bands to go out and say, oh, "We don't know if this is going to land," and just all of it sells out instantly. I, I, I kind of wish I would have bought it sooner because. It's getting to that time of the year where I kind of cycle out the old rugby gear and bring in new stuff. So I bought myself a couple of rug, uh, training shirts and I bought myself a new pair of boots. And uh, I was looking to buy some critical role gear, but again, that shit is almost all sold out again. Yeah. Uh, and I kind of thought, oh, I wish I bought that bloody wood t-shirt now. I'll just need to wait for the second batch. Yeah, because there's no way there's not because sold out in three days and I think they've already promised there's more coming. Don't worry about it. We'll We'll figure it out. Uh, we nice. just need to make a, make it happen, and uh, I mean to drop merch for an Indian heavy metal band during coronavirus lockdown, where most of your fans might be uh, followed, might be uh, struggling financially, and then to see it all sell out must be a real relief for those guys. It's uh, it shows that there's support, and this they dropped this days before the documentary came out. So like this mm. isn't like everyone saw the documentary and rushed to get the merch. It was merch first, then release the documentary. Half of which is a thank you to the fans for supporting them. Like, well timed, lads. <laughs> if if the sales had been absolutely dog shit, that might have received a quick edit. But you know, I uh, oh actually that reminds me, we talked about editing earlier, and uh, mm-hmm. I, I talked about uh, like films I've been watching. I watched a, a French film called Breathless, which is a nineteen sixties uh, French new wave film that I found interesting. It's very weird to see so much of what we consider normal filmmaking now being revolutionary uh, back in the day but one thing that um, I've now done a wormhole of is researching opinions on it and finding uh, think pieces and articles and places to go next having watched a, a you know landmark of cinema and I found that fucking thing <laughs> what was that? So I'm, being, I'm being attacked by moths <laughs> yeah they're, they're everywhere now what the fucking goddamn animals get away from me <laughs> But uh, one thing I found during my uh, investigations into Breathless was that there is a, like, before this, the one of the biggest French films was a silent movie that was a five-and-a-half-hour uh, dramatization of Napoleon's life, and I need to get that fucking film. I don't know why. I've, I've only watched one of the silent film that was Nosferatu. I don't have a love for silent film, but the idea that there was a five-and-a-half-hour uh, remaster as well. Like this is the original film was kept and uh, locked in a vault because it's seen as one of the like seminal arts of uh, filmmaking. Like it's one of the biggest things to ever happen. I think you can find footage of uh, what's his fucking name, the guy who directed the Shining, Stanley Kubrick. I think yeah, Stanley Kubrick. Oh, Stanley Kubrick. You, you can find him saying this is one of the best films ever made, and I'm like, you fucking what, mate? <laughs> yeah, that's enough for me to watch it. Uh, so I'm. I found a, a, a Blu-ray of it. It is uh, remastered by the British Film Institute, um, which I'm just talking about editing. Can you imagine being told you now have to go through frame by frame, and remaster and like for get it ready for 4K, a film from the 1920s about Napoleon, shot all in black and white. I think there was a couple of color filters used as well, but that's it. Like that's the most interesting thing visually that's going to happen. But uh, it is insane, like, when you see what they did in the 1920s. I mean, at that point, there was uh, part of the discussion of, like, very early film 
is that people just filmed things happening. That fil- people would film a train pulling into a station because people were fascinated by that. They'd never seen that captured on film. And uh, that's where the, the famous, like, kind of, uh, it's like a weird, uh, like, bit of trivia that's handed around is that when people first saw the movie of a train pulling into a station, they panicked because they thought the train was coming at them. They didn't <laughs> yeah. understand that the thing was a film. You know, that that's like just 10, 15 years maybe before this five and a half hour Napoleon epic. It's fucking mental. And I, I'm looking for that. But also if anyone has any um, recommendations for like really old films, um, because part of what I was, what drew me to Breathless was that this is seen as a kind of punk rock alternative to the establishment of cinema at the time. And I want to see films from the 1950s um, and before that are the establishment this film reels against. And I want to, if anyone has any recommendations, it's a weird one. It, I doubt that this is anyone else's cup of tea, but if anyone would have any recommendations for a really old 1950s and that era film, um, I'm all ears. Find me at Aaron Lord Mad on Twitter. What was the name of the Napoleon? It uh, is just film. Napoleon. It's Napoleon 1927. I've got it on Amazon as uh, like my to buy list. I genuinely think I might have that. Really? My dad is my dad is massively in the Napoleonic War, and uh, to the point where he watches anything to do with it. Uh, he's a huge fan of Sharp, because uh, that's set in the Napoleonic War. Uh, he watches and just inhales anything to do with the Napoleonic War. I'm pretty sure I have that in this house on DVD. That's weird. I'm, I'm almost positive that I bought him that along yeah. with uh, Gettysburg. Yeah, and uh, a film called Hurricane. Hmm. Or Hurricane Man. It was a boxing film, anyway. I, yeah, I will say that as initially, when you look at the Napoleonic uh, warfare and stuff like the stuff that was going on at the time, it doesn't seem that interesting. See now, looking at it, I'm like, okay, I get the fascination. Like, I get the the obsession with what went on. Like, it's a very strange uh, type of warfare that doesn't make sense now because of like we're used to. Ancient warfare, that makes sense. People just run at each other with sticks and beat the shit out of each other. That makes sense. And then we have now where it's a always ready for a counterinsurgency or a counterattack, patrolling mm. large areas. Of, like the war on terror looks completely different to the uh, the war against uh, Hitler and then looks completely different to the war of World War One compared to Napoleonic warfare. Like it's just warfare changed so much so fast. The Napoleonic stuff, like, this is nonsense. Why is everyone walking around in uh, jodhpurs and weird funny hats? You know, yeah. you're at war. Take it seriously. You're just dicking around in weird funny coats. But it Why is, is the pinnacle very... of weapons technology a pepper box? <laughs> I, uh, but it is very fascinating. And I, I, one weird thing I found uh, very funny about Napoleon is that uh, his last battle is basically the Avengers Endgame. It rec- like he, Napoleon is an Avengers-level threat in ancient Europe. It's fucking yeah. amazing. Apparently, he was so well loved in certain places because there were certain, the underclassmen in certain cities who were just who thought because his whole thing was I will topple the establishment and things like that. Yeah, I will throw uh, down the monarchies and replace it with uh, a government of the people. Yeah, certain you know less privileged people in cities like London and things like that were so fervent about meeting him, so uh, you know vehement about meeting him. That they would literally set out twenty-eight mile or twenty-eight man wide garrisons around them so that people couldn't get them. 
he was that fucking popular. He was apparently very good at visuals about politics and stuff like that. He always presented himself in a certain way. I mean, in, in public, he is a soldier. He is dressed in a uniform that's very well tailored. It's very professional. He is the general king of uh, France. Like, he is the emperor in more than just, like, he he's earned the title of emperor. But then when you look at artwork that he's had done for him, it's very Christ-like in a certain way. I've seen, like, discussions of paintings and stuff that he had done for him, but if you look at his coronation as emperor of France, like, you can go into it and you can pick apart a bunch of little details that it really shows you he has uh, spent a lot of time and effort into making himself appear as close to God as possible, and then that brings with it reverence that people had from back in the day. It's interesting. He's a very weird character that, like, he doesn't make sense until you really look into as much of him as you can. But mm. I might, I might, I want, might want to study Napoleon a little bit more because I find him fascinating. Yeah, he was a very, very strange person because he was quite, he was quite a charismatic dude. People just were gravitated to him. He mm. was just a very fascinating figure, and I always remember being. I, I'm interested in it now, but I always remember being bored to tears watching. You know, sharp because of the, oh great, Sean Bean's going to stab this guy. Sean Bean's going <laughs> to stab that guy. Holy shit, Sean Bean actually survives till the end of something. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think that just shows how much I've kind of matured because now I can actually sit and watch that shit. But when I was a kid, I was like, oh god, this shit again. The one thing I, I never got was I used to go to a wargaming club out in I think it was Sterling, and there was always people playing Napoleonic warfare games like the tabletop games. I never got it. I'm like, dude, there's 40k right here. We have bolt guns, we have yeah. orcs, we have fucking laser beams. It's cool as hell. Get over here. Stop playing with little soldiers with weird hats. But then, like, I now listen to that. I had the same view of a uh, Warhammer fantasy. <laughs> 40k for me was always just, dude, we have bloodletters, we have demons, we have axes, magic, bolt, uh, bolt pistols, bolters, plasma guns, tanks, bikes and shit. Why are you over there messing with trebuchets and horses? Ooh, laddie da, bows and arrows. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah. Dude, can you see what Karn the Betrayer does? <laughs> he has 12 attacks. <laughs> he shoved a chainsaw through someone, then turned it on. <laughs> he punched someone in the face and somehow managed to rip out his anus. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. Like, the, the, your perspective on so much shifts so fast as well. Like, that was only five, six years ago. Totally different game. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of different games, uh, oh, Mi- yeah. Microsoft uh, released their uh, Games Expo that I guess is in place of their E3 performance this year. Yes. So this uh, this entire event is supposed to be like a showcase of everything they wanted to give you for uh, a teaser for the Xbox Series X. So, I mean, we actually, had, you sent me the text saying, did you see it? Um, and I said, no, was it work? I'll watch it, and then resulted in sending you various live tweets and first impressions and stuff as it happened. Um, best point I probably made was if I drank every time they said 60 frames per second, I'd be fucked right now. Yeah. Uh, the, right. One thing that is pissing me off severely about the current state of uh, video games and the current state of uh, video game consoles and even PC gaming is that everyone is so chubbed up about refresh rate for bit rates for fucking uh, frames per second i get that people want to get their games looking as good as possible but make the games work first before you start jerking yourself off about fucking frame rates and 60 frames per seconds and 8k and 4k holy shit 
if I have to watch one more goddamn Twitch stream where some guy goes, oh, hold on, I'm just going to refresh the stream because I'm at 58 frames per second and not 60 or <laughs> complaining about the fucking bitrate, I'm going to fucking lose my mind. I'm genuinely sick of it. It's, uh, it's, I think that's part, part of the problem is that it is a very visual art. And then all of a sudden someone makes statements about how good they can make the visuals look. And then the race to the top becomes exclusively about visuals rather than yeah. storytelling, rather than mechanical function of the game. Um, no one, that seems to have fallen by the wayside. And this was an issue 10 years ago, and yet we still haven't gotten over it. Yeah. No, yeah, so I just really go on a little personal rant there because uh, my favorite YouTuber of all time, uh, I've probably mentioned this before, but here's, here's a refresher if you can't remember. But my favorite YouTuber is a guy called Maximilian Dude, who does a, a shit ton of fighting game videos. He's basically what got me into fighting games more. He got me further into fighting games, showed me how to play the games through his videos and shit like that. Fucking love the love the channel, love the guy. Seems great guy. All the best to him and his wife uh, when their child arrives in August. Fucking love the guy. Uh, and I love his other channel, Yo Video Games. But if I have to listen to him fucking bitch and moan because I get he's having a lot of problems with, with his internet right now. But whenever he's, even before that, when he was playing video games, and it was just say he was playing Street Fighter Five, and it would drop to fifty four frames a second, he would lose his shit. Or if he's watching a video doing a reaction, and the bit rate goes a bit wonky because there's a lot of shit on the screen, you'll go, "Oh my god, this is literally unwatchable. The bit rate is so bad." And I'm like, "Motherfucker, watch the video. I will bitch slap you through this monitor." <laughs> Actually, before you get too far into the weeds, I should point out that if you haven't seen the uh, Microsoft com- uh, conference. You can just go to YouTube and look for uh, Microsoft's um, YouTube channel. I think it's at the Xbox official YouTube channel. Uh, we yeah. also we retweeted it on Twitter at uh, Jibberfish. You can find the link there. You can find uh, not only in the English for like the fifty minute version. You can find each individual trailer. I think they all should be up there. I think one or two of them might be on their own YouTube channels. And then you can also find the uh, conference given in different languages or with different language subtitles. So there's, uh, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, now probably just pause and uh, just uh, go watch to find out, you know, have your own opinion of it, come back and join us with the rest of the discussion. Uh, so overall, what's your first impression of this generation that's coming forward for the Xbox? Uh, dude, I think we are in for a fucking absolute stormer of a, a, a console generation because there's so many, so many games coming out that I think yeah that's going to be worth picking up on xbox for even games that they didn't show uh gears of war 6 i think is going to be good because gears of war 5 is just a great platform to build on mm-hmm. uh, as much as i'm probably not going to get into it halo infinite does look pretty good yeah and uh, this is the opening salvo as well this is the the first games at the of the generation you know there's several years of this hopefully to come um, yeah and yeah i I'm, I'm with you in the same kind of optimism i'm i'm uh much happier with the focus on gaming this year as opposed to the Xbox uh, series, uh, the Xbox One, which was launched as a home entertainment console more than a gaming yeah. console, um, which is good. It kind of puts Microsoft back in the driving seat of saying, remembering that you know we are a gaming uh, company, we produce a gaming console for gamers. Uh, here are all the gaming studios we own now and are now working with to produce content. So yeah. I, uh, I, I like where they're going with this. I think that the the big push for Xbox Game Pass that they made at E3 this or last year has mm-hmm. kind of finally paid off. And I, I think I want to talk about that more once we've discussed all the games. Yeah. Um, that I think that that 
really solidifies, you know, this uh, conference really solidifies that that is their model going forward. I think, I don't want to say 60 uh, quid games are dead, because I don't think they're dead yet. I think there might be something no. worthwhile, uh, worth paying for in that kind there of are, There are always going to be idiots like myself who like having the physical editions yeah. uh, in their games library. Uh, but I think Game Pass, if you have an Xbox or a PC and you're sleeping on Game Pass, you're missing out on such great money for value. I don't think I can be contradicted in any way by saying that Xbox Game Pass is the best deal in video games right now. Well, PlayStation actually... Plus <laughs> PlayStation Plus can't even touch it. PlayStation Plus gives you Goat Simulator and a good game. Bro, Goat Simulator's good. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> can I mute you? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, probably. It's probably worth it. <laughs> uh, I mean, to me, I'd PlayStation mute Plus doesn't really give you good games. right? Statistically, they'll occasionally give you a game, but chances are you've already got that game that they're offering for PlayStation Plus. But Game Pass is just dropping hit after hit every month. I mean, you want to play Kingdom Hearts? They have that. You want to play Monster Monster Hunter? They have that. You want to play Bloodstained? You want to play Borderlands? You want to play fucking Street, uh, Killer Instinct? You want to play uh, Old School Street Fighter? Go ahead. It's all on Game Pass. Yeah. And it's £15 a month. It's an absurd bargain. It's a great deal. If you were the thing for me that really sold me on Game Pass was the exposure to different types of games, and uh, I just I was stuck in a, a rut of playing the same type of games again and again, and I got back into racing games through Game Pass. I got back into yep. like strategy games and uh, like third person shooters as opposed to like the first person shooters. I just decided to pick up new stuff that I you know if I was having to pay six quid a game for it, I never really would have touched it. Um, but I don't know. I mean, with, uh, with not having to really pay for it, I mean, yeah, I'm paying a subscription fee. But having the access to those games, I went and played more and enjoyed more. And yeah, I found some games that sucked. But at the same time, I found some stuff that I really enjoyed and you know, still go back to to this day. And that's what, I think, that's what I think the value of Game Pass comes to. Just finding those little gems that you never usually would play. But because you have it there, you're more inclined to play it. So starting from the top, I've got, I think I've got most of these in order. Um, yep. But I, I liked that it starts with State of Decay 3. Um, I'm a big fan of the State of Decay franchise. I've played one and two. Uh, I loved two, and the the intro to three really caught me off guard. I did not know what I was looking at because uh, a lot of the the discussion around each console generation is graphics improving, and I'm assuming that's a pre-rendered cinematic because I don't think they can make that game look that good, and yeah. uh, it doesn't suit Actually, the style of the game. Yeah, it, it looked like a good trailer, but originally I just as soon as it loaded in, I'm like, this is The Last of Us. <laughs> this looks just like The Last of Us. Yeah. But I have I have not played any of the State of Decay games. I genuinely thought that State of Decay 1 happened and then <laughs> they just let that ride. State of Decay 2 was a pretty good platform, or was actually a pretty good uh, game for Game Pass to get because it was uh, it came out the basic version and then they could uh, kind of drip feed you a couple of the DLC contents. But uh, I quite liked it. And uh, one thing, I don't know if it was just me, looking into it a bit too much, but I thought it was a bit of a middle finger to Sony just because uh, for the last year, I, I think the last console generation, I'd say Sony won it, um, and Microsoft just yeah. was on the receiving end of a five-year beating. Um, but then them actually, like, in the in the trailer, this is the first thing they show you of the entire console uh, expo, was a mm. reversal of Predator and Prey with a zombie deer eating a wolf. And I'm like, yeah. ooh, if that that's was a middle good. finger, that's a pretty damn good middle finger. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, yeah, as a fan of State of Decay, the idea of adding zombie animals gets me kind of interested because it's going to be barbaric trying to survive a zombie horde and then all of a sudden a deer jumps over the wall like, fucking Christ. You <laughs> imagine that you're just, you're out there in the State of Decay, state of decay world and uh, all of a sudden there's fucking a pack of zombie squirrels that just set up on you. You have oh, to try and be... shoot fast-moving zombie squirrels. Oh, I'd, I'd die so fast. But to be fair, yeah. as long as it's not in uh, Australia, we'll be fine because there's no uh, zombie kangaroos leaping over the walls. Oh, yeah, fuck that. You imagine getting kicked by a zombie kangaroo? <laughs> fuck that, dog. Fuck that. So uh, after that, it was... Oh my, I, I, I joked that like before I started the video, I said to uh, to simulate the E3 experience, I'm going to yell, Udot the Master Chief! <laughs> and that was the first thing I saw. After State of Decay was legitimately the start of the, the Halo trail. Yeah, it looks. Like, I like the way that they've basically just stripped back the HUD. The HUD for the game looks a lot cleaner than it has in previous games. Yes. The uh, the wrist grappling hook, I thought, because I thought if they're doing a new Halo game, they're going to give them some kind of verticality. They're going to give them a jetpack. They're going to give them jump boots or something. Because mm. the previous uh, Halo games have been about. Well, Halo 1, 2, and 3 were all about, you know, different kind of weapons. Halo 1 was just about, you know, you know, good shooting, tight combat, all that shit. Halo 2 was about dual wielding and furthering the tight combat and all that shit. Halo 3 was just all about cool melee weapons and furthering that. Halo 4 uh, had something. <laughs> Halo, Halo 4, 4 was, was there? <laughs> Halo 4 integrated more of the armor skills. Same yeah. with five five was shit because people went into that game wanting to play as master chief and ended up playing as spartan Locke, and everyone was just going who the fuck is this guy when he's at home and i actually thought he was an okay he was an interesting character he was an interesting foil to master chief it's it was quite fun to have them say okay we've had this guy who just kind of does what he wants within the military for the last uh decade or so now let's give him someone to say no there are consequences for your actions <laughs> yeah, he was the kind of the loyal soldier that had to rein in the the old, the, the old, old soldier who doesn't I give a shit. Yeah, I suppose to, in that extent he was an okay character, but in general, he was not well received. Play, yeah, not well received. Because if you if you play Halo, you want to play as Master Chief, unless it's Halo Reach or Halo DSD or something. If Master Chief is on the front cover, you want to play as Master Chief. Or if it says Master Chief is in the game, you want to play as him. To have that kind of bait and switch where you play as Locke, it's just, okay, yeah. I don't like this. They, they did give you a couple chapters of Chief, but it was mostly Locke. Yeah, there's a lot of Spartan Locke. Yeah. So, yeah. I'll be very interested to see if they can pull off the, the feel of that grapple hook mechanic, because I feel yeah. like the, the bar for that has been set really high with the Spider-Man franchise. If it's being yeah. used for movement, I really don't think they can match uh, what was done with Spider-Man. If it's being used, though, for uh, as part of combat, I'll be interested to see how that works. But I can yeah, see it I being can, glitchy. I can see them going for more of a Scorpion from Mortal Kombat as opposed to a Spider-Man approach. Because uh, Spartans are heavy motherfuckers. I think they're like 500 kilograms. Yeah. They're big, big dudes. And dudettes. Yeah, dudettes, uh, there are dudettes. Yeah, they're, they're big people. So having them just swing around almost like Spider-Man with the grappling hook would be a bit weird. Funny as fuck to watch, but it'd be a bit weird. 
Yeah, I mean, if you thought you'd those feel little... like you're watching red versus blue at that point. <laughs> if you think those little guys were terrified before, wait until Master Chief drops from the sky on them. <laughs> yeah. Although I do like one of my favorite parts of the, well, the... one of my favorite parts of the trailer was the fact that the brutes can now throw things at you, and that includes grunts. Yes, I did see that one. Yeah. So you could be walking along just not noticing a brute catches you off guard, and all of a sudden a grunt just comes slamming into your face. <laughs> That'd be great. I'll wait and see it. It's uh, the Halo franchise. I'm not that big a fan of it um, overall. I think I'll just wait and see how it actually plays. I'll get my hands on it through like a friend, and if I like what I see, I'll go out and buy it. More than likely, you'll see, you'll see it on Game Pass. Actually, yeah, that was a good point. All these games are going to be on Game Pass. Yeah, and that's, that's great. I lost interest in the Halo franchise when they lost interest in local co-op. Uh, Halo 4 there isn't a local co-op Halo 5 there isn't local co-op so I thought yeah fuck it uh, if I can't play this game couch co-op with my brother like we used to do in Halo 3 and Halo Reach and ODST and ODST which ODST is my favourite game I don't get why people hate on it so much I like it uh, but yeah if I can't play it couch co-op that ruins the fun of the game for me yeah um, the next one up I saw was uh, Outer Worlds the DLC for that I don't yeah. really care for the Outer Worlds. I tried getting into it. I didn't enjoy myself in the first few hours and said, this is like an 80-hour RPG. I am not getting stuck into this. Uh, I kind of I like it just because I don't like Fallout. Uh, even though it's a Fallout-style game, I don't like the Fallout universe because I'm not a fan of sci-fi that's set in the real world, you know? Right. Uh, it's just a weird sentence to say, but if it's meant to be this weird futuristic landscape where there's... The, uh, super mutants and shit walking about. I prefer that it not be set in a real place. You know, I it's enjoy a, the fact it's that a weird f- hang up. yeah, I, I get it. You want to go if you're going to have a fantasy. You want to be a real fantasy. Like you want to go out and do new things and not just have like weird tacked on references to the real world and then try and rerun it through the lens of whatever nightmare scenario you're in. I get that. Yeah, yeah. I I just I just enjoy the the idea that the world becomes a shithole and then. There's like 20 people who are like, we can make a difference. <laughs> yeah. And then you murder half of them. <laughs> Come on, guys, we can do this. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll wait and see because I think Outer Worlds is on Game Pass. So I'll probably boot that up on the PC and play that soon. That's how I got it. I, and it does run very well on PC. I'll give it that. Yeah. I'll probably just put it on the PC because uh, my Xbox controller packed in recently. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of uh, Joy-Con Drift for Nintendo Switch. No. Right, what happens is the analog sticks will just constantly drop to the bottom. So if you're trying to hold it center, it will just keep pointing down. So if you're playing, if you're scrolling through menus without touching down on the Joy-Con uh, analog stick, it will just drop. So are we talking about the Joy-Con itself, like the actual n- nub, the little uh, controlling part? Physically no. dropping down, or just it naturally, like the electronic part of it, drifts down. Yeah, as in, if it's controlling something on screen, the marker, will, the cursor will just drop down. Hmm. And it's been happening quite a lot. It, my Xbox controller has started doing it. So I was trying to play a Bloodstain Ritual of the Night, and my character just kept pointing down. I was like, okay, what the fuck is this? So I paused it and tried to go into the menu. So yeah, my Xbox controller is absolutely fucked, and I blame Dragon Ball Fighters. <laughs> Played yeah. that game for about six weeks straight, and I think it just fucked my Xbox controller. 
that is one thing I will say about uh, fighting games is that your yeah. controller takes a hell of a beating. Yeah, which is why uh, for Smash Bros, I will only ever use one of two controllers. All the other controllers are still in the box and will be kept in good nick. I yeah. don't want to break them. Use Find and use a disposable controller. Uh, yeah. Preferable one you didn't pay too much money for. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I recently found a, an absolute steal. I found a Nintendo official wireless controller for the GameCube, which is called a Waveboard. And there was not many of these things made. And I, I found remember one those, yeah. Yeah, they're fucking great controllers. I love them. No input latency on them. Uh, it was clean. There was no coffee stains or anything on them. Uh, and it was in its box, and it was 30 quid. And I was like, fuck yeah, I'm buying that. That thing does not get used for Smash. <laughs> it, it stays in its box and only gets brought out occasionally we bring this out for new zelda titles and nothing else we bring this out for wind waker majora's mask and ocarina of time all the other times it stays in its box <laughs> no i i feel you on that one like if you're if you're having to flush uh i guess like what 30 40 quid a go uh if you keep yeah. breaking controllers i'd be very protective of them too yeah although the xbox controller i don't know why they're not cheaper than they are xbox controller still runs you about 50 quid because they can charge you for running um, with a PS4 controller, I understand because they've put a lot of weird stuff in there, like with the uh, the touch panel. Uh, for an Xbox controller, mm, I don't know. I think they just they charge you that because they can. Yeah, it's a bit weird. Although uh, I don't know, I, I don't know if I want to go pre-owned on the Xbox controller or just break the cash out and buy one brand new. I think I'm going to go brand new because the one my Xbox One is pre-owned, so. Hopefully, if I get a new controller, I get a bit more out of it. Yeah. Um, the next thing I saw on the uh, the games list was I, I've put a bunch of the smaller indie stuff. So I think Everwild might have technically been in here before this. Uh, but the next big title I saw was Avowed, uh, which is that first person uh, strategy or first person uh, RPG. Yeah, um, another middle finger to Bethesda. <laughs> Sitting going, fuck you, we're going to make our own Skyrim and it's going to be better. We'll make Skyrim with the Balrog and it'll be much better. Because I I'm, I guess you caught the Lord of the Rings reference. Yeah. Yeah, with a, yeah. Wizard, a wizard with a sword in his hand standing in front of a bridge with a glowing demon appearing from a hallway. Hmm, I wonder what they could be emulating there. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder what, what they're going for. Even the, the font that they used <laughs> was quite uh, token. Like, yeah, going back to Everwilds, I kind of like the look of that. It looked a bit Avatar: The Last Airbender. Yeah, I, I have it up next, but I just I, I have a vowed on here, and I just think oh, okay. I'll be interested in that. Um, I quite enjoy that style of gameplay for like uh, Dark Messiah of Might and Magic. Uh, mm. That's the one thing that springs to mind for me, and I'll be interested to see if someone can make a very good game of that. I, I miss uh, playing Skyrim and having fun with that game, but I just I've played it too much and I'm done. I'm worn out. Uh, so if you can give me a good game like that, I'll go for it. I mean, I'm looking forward to playing a Avowed, but at the same time, I have never once thought, man, I could play some Skyrim right now. I never got into the premise of Skyrim. You never? No, did you get into Oblivion? Nope. I uh, I didn't like Oblivion. I loved Oblivion, and I think that carried over into Skyrim to the point yeah. where I was willing to overlook uh, some of the game's faults. And I get to punch dragons, so win-win, really. Oh, yeah. Dude, I used to get, I used to get raked over fucking hot coals <laughs> for... Uh, saying that I didn't like Skyrim. I remember when Skyrim was just about to come out back in the 360 days. Uh, I spoke to a friend of ours uh, uh, about it, and I he said, oh, you getting Skyrim? I went, you know what? Skyrim doesn't look that good to me. I think it looks kind of shit. And this person literally threatened to rip my throat out. <laughs> I'll rip your fucking throat out first thing Skyrim looks shit. 
I the just realized who you're talking about, and I know exactly who it is. Um, <laughs> I realized who you're talking about, and I know who it is. Yeah, and and since I mean, I'm still good friends with him. I think even at that point, he just thought he was joking. Yeah, but yeah, it, he sounded very serious. I was it, like, Dude, it's I not that great a that game. I, will... I just don't think it looks that good. It looks shit. I, I, I get people love Skyrim, and you are very, very, very much allowed to like Skyrim, but it just I don't think it yeah. looks good. I it, don't think it's as game breaking a game as people think it is. It's for the 360 at the end of its shelf life it was okay it was a good it was a good game it was the most you could get out of a 360 when it hit xbox one and next gen consoles and then pc it got the best you could get out of a ps4 <laughs> um it was not like it was okay it was an upgrade it was a graphical upgrade to a bethesda game but by that point we'd found every last bug and then found that they'd fixed none of it uh when it got moved over and then the fact that it'll be on the next generation and my fucking toaster will be uh, just a joke till the end of time. Um, yeah, I'm sure you could get it working on a Game Boy at this point. I think someone has it working on a fridge. I'm not joking. I think someone found a way to play it on a fridge. Oh, one of those fridges with the inbuilt iPad things? Yep. <laughs> I am not surprised. Um, so not yeah, surprised. there was there was the, the smaller indie games that we had. Um, well, I say they're indie, but they're all Microsoft-backed uh, studios. Yeah. But I, I look at them and I think of indie games, stuff like Everwild, which was pretty interesting. Um, uh, I, I'm curious to see what it is. Like, I don't know what the game is, if that makes sense. Yeah, I don't know what the game's going to be about, but at the same time, the presentation's enough to get me interested. Yeah. Um, unlike, I would say, like, if you want to talk about like a, a cool-looking visual, but then I know what the game is. Uh, the gunk really uh, drew my attention. Yeah, that looks like kind of like a Ghostbusters. I was thinking more gunk. like uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids or Ratchet and Clank, but with parkour and sucking up gunk. Yeah, and um, actually, not Ghostbusters. It's more kind of Super Mario Sunshine because you have to just kind of hoover up all the gunk or yes. in Super Mario Sunshine. You, you sprayed away all the the ink. It does kind of look like that. Yeah, Super Mario Sunshine is a much better uh, analogy. Uh, yeah. I like that, and I, I I like like again, part of one of what I want to talk about uh, later on is visually that game looks stunning. Uh, yeah. Like in terms of like it's high contrast, the darkness of the gunk contrast to the light that pops through when you open certain areas, like it's it's designed to look fat like amazing, and uh, yeah, I know we're looking at trailers and we say well, it looks so gorgeous because it's a it's a tailor made thing to sell you the game. Um, it's optimized and polished to an insane degree to be ready on the global stage on a 4K broadcast on YouTube. But again, like just if the game looks half as good as that, I'll be happy. Yeah. What was the game that was actually Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? We have to battle through gardens and fight giant ants and spiders and shit. There was uh, Sarge's War. Uh, there was like no, this was on the showcase. Uh, there was a game on the showcase like that. Yeah, uh, there was literally. I missed that. Something like the the trailer was you're waiting for the best game of the year or you're looking for the biggest game of the year. Oh well, wait for yeah, Cyber shit, I missed that. I can't remember the name of it, but I thought fuck that. If anyone, if I'm playing that game with anybody and they leave me to spiders, I will burn their house down. <laughs> I love that so much. Work together as a team or feed your mate to the spiders. You just kick him into a spider's mouth. I was like, damn, that's a dank joke. <laughs> that's, that's anyone a... <laughs> does that to me, we're we're not friends anymore. I will punch you in the arm and walk out. Oh yeah, I remember that. Now that 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 should have made the list because I was very I, I I like it. It reminds me of I say like Army Men Soldiers War. I, I like that thing. There's a, a game kind of gradually making its way through production. I'm part of the subreddit for it uh, called Plastic, and it's the same idea of just Army Men Soldiers War. Like, you just take 
war but make it tiny and it's interesting and i'm like okay yeah. cool <laughs> um yeah but that 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 one whatever that magic game was again like it's a weirder idea it's from a smaller more independent studio that microsoft just happens to be funding i think that really should have made the list of these um then there was as dusk falls and tell me why which i thought of as being a lot more um there was a, a studio involved in tell me why that made a very similar game um and i just couldn't get behind it it's one of those very kind of narrative driven it's, it's, it's the exact thing you think of when you think indie games it's yeah. narrative driven it's about emotional discovery and coming over past trauma and i can feel myself rolling my eyes at it but it's on game pass i might check it out um i yeah, can't I'm not a fan of those types of games because i remember uh there was one i think it was called a day in the life or that's life and it was made by square enix and it was very much another one of those kind of emotional discovery, dramatic games. And I thought, no, nah, I'm not really into this. Then uh, there's another one called I Am Sitsuna. I'm like, dude, why are so many of these games being made? Yeah. Then I realized they sell well, just not to me. Yeah. Fuck off. Oh. <laughs> the game I was thinking of is Life is Strange. Life uh, is Strange. Yeah. That's the fucking name. It's developed by the way. same people who are doing Tell Me Why. And I yeah. know that. Because immediately I saw some of the character movement for Tell Me Why. And there was just something about the way the heads kind of jerk a little bit. There's something just a little bit off. And I saw it and I was like, that is exactly like Life is Strange. I don't know what it was. I just immediately it, like clicked into like who's running the character models. And uh, yeah, I, I couldn't figure out what it was. But something just immediately yeah. said Tell Me Why was a game by those people. Um, again, not interested in it that much. But if you give me it for air quotes free i'll probably play it um yeah, if it's including a pass of other games in yeah i might look it up i think life is strange was just it was definitely not my type of game mm. i'm not a fan of that style it was it everyone knows the one friend that played life is strange and who wouldn't shut up about it and we're like, i don't care i'm playing gears of war shut up yeah <laughs> i'm yep. chainsawing weird monsters from the center of the earth leave me in peace the person who i linked the video to you before the show they were talking they were the person in my sort of friends group that kept talking about life is strange and at that point i had just started playing resident evil 2 remake and he's like oh dude it's so good man you need to play it and i'm like i'm cutting zombies in half <laughs> with machine guns and shotguns i will not play your emotional game i will play my zombie game I, uh, I I will say though, I, since I was a child, <laughs> the trailer for As Dusk Falls were really interesting to me because I like not so much the actual gameplay. I don't think this is gonna be my type of game either, but yeah. watching them make it was fascinating. Uh, they've got this weird process of having people mocap their way through the scenes, but then they take stills of it and then paint on the character models, and it's it's so weird to see that image because you look at the even just the press releases for. As Dusk Falls, and like, it's a really was strange... As Dusk Falls the one that kind of looked like a comic? Yes. It's got yeah, a really one... weird blend of being very obviously, like, it's clearly a painted image, digitally yeah. painted, but it looks really photorealistic. There's See, for me, that kind of looked almost like a... Have you ever heard of a film called... A Sca... Ever heard of a film called A Scanner Darkly? A vaguely. With Keanu Reeves. Uh, that kind of looked... It, it was basically the same kind of style. Yeah. Like, all recorded but and that kind of had this weird kind of 
comic book art style cover over it and it was a really good film and I kind of thought if it's anything like that or that's the thing that they're going for it may be worth picking up but wait did I they did they rotoscope over the top of the actors yes oh interesting a scanner darkly so, you said that's yeah a scanner missed. darkly with Keanu Reeves I think uh, RDJ's in there somewhere probably yeah but yeah it's a good film I thought if it's anything like that I might pick it up but it'll be one of those games where I will wait and see what it's going to be like through YouTube videos. I'm not going to jump in immediately. I want to see what the gameplay is like. Because the one downfall with these uh, Xbox and PlayStation events is that they don't show a lot of gameplay. Yeah. Which is kind of annoying. They do show a bit of gameplay, and what gameplay is that they do show is enough to make me think, okay, yeah. that looks interesting. That could be a good game. Yeah, and uh, I just took a look at a scanner dark lane. Yeah, you're exactly right. It is that weird, uh, like, rotoscoped look that it has. And I, I like yeah. it. Um, it's cool. It's a good movie. Fun I haven't seen it in years, but what I remember, it looks pretty cool. Fun bit of trivia as a Lord of the Rings fan. Do you know there's a really old rotoscope version of the Lord of the Rings? Yes, by uh, Ralph Bakshi. It is amazing. <laughs> it's so weird. Uh, but Do yeah, you know who played uh, Aragorn in that? No. Is it still John Hurt. Motion? John Hurt. John Shit. Hurt, yeah. yeah. I'm going to go rewatch that. <laughs> That's... Right, podcast yeah. over. Fuck it. John Hurt is Aragorn. <laughs> yeah. We're away. We're busy, kids. Um, you, can, you can tell that it's John Hurt when it's Aragorn because there's fight scenes where they rotoscope in real people and they've just got the actors playing their characters in the rotoscope. So the camera's in writing on John Hurt's face as a goblin or something's going to attack him. Well, <laughs> <laughs> they're trying to hide this. That's just John Hurt. Uh, other than that, the only things I saw was there is a, a new Forza game in the works. Uh, yeah. The remastering, good, from what I've been told, but because my brothers are huge Forza fans, the games always look spectacular in trailers. But then when it comes to the gameplay, there is nothing to differentiate differentiate it from the game that came previously. Yeah. It's just kind of the same shit, new uh, cover. Well, that's inconvenient because apparently they're remastering Forza Horizon Four as well. Yeah, if they're remastering that, from what I've been told, you're better just sticking with four. Yeah, because I love they do Horizon 4. I, I really uh, the new one. Um, and then you have Ori and the Will of the Wisps getting a remaster as well. It's uh, such a good game. And one thing that like both the Forza and the Ori game they talk about was that they're going to work on audio improvements as well. Like it's not just a visual thing. They're wanting to apparently something going on in the Xbox where it's working with a more kind of 3D type of sound. Like they're just going to try and. Uh, tailor the way sound is uh, produced by Xbox games to so that if it's well, it's my, my my question about this was going to be, do you think we'll see a difference coming out of TV speakers, or would we need like some kind of home surround sound system or headphones to appreciate it? I think we're going to have to def definitely have to beef up our uh, sound systems because when I I uh, went for an interview. And the interview lasted eight hours, which is weird. It kind of seemed like they were trying to get a full day's work out of me. <laughs> and uh, and PC World, and I had to basically go to the shop floor and try and sell a couple of TVs. And the first thing they tell you is, no matter what, or how, or no matter what TV you buy, no matter how good and high spec the TV is, the sound quality is going to be shit. Yes. The speakers are going to work, but the sound quality is going to be shit. So try and sell them a sound bar or a surround sound system because it's going to it's going to enhance the viewing experience. So I can imagine that with Xbox Series X and uh, the PlayStation 5 being native 4K or having native 4K, yeah. there's going to be a lot of need 
there's going to be a big need for people to upgrade their sound system so they can get the full experience out of their consoles, you know? Which I will recommend, actually. I have my uh, speakers that I have hooked up to my TV. Uh, I will say that I noticed a change in, like, how movies feel based on the, uh, like, having a better quality sound system because, as you say, the sound built into a television is functional but not great. Um, yeah. It gets the job done, barely. The piece. What'd you say, sir? So, yeah, having it just through the speakers on the television, it'll work. Mm. But it's not the optimal version. Yeah. If you enjoy movies and enjoy TV shows and big bombastic performances, I'd actually recommend some kind of improved sound system. I don't know how good sound bars are. I know my brother has one, and when we watch movies at his place, it's really good. I really enjoy it um, because it is just a bigger, bassier system, and I just love me some bass. So, um, uh, yeah. I did have a sound bar in this house, but it was abused because I had Bluetooth. It was abused uh, for it. What if I? That's fair. Yeah. Although I'd be more worried about someone accidentally like turning on porn. <laughs> you wouldn't want to be in the room when that happens. I've never had that happen, but it is a, th- and a thing that I would dread. No, it's never, ha- it's never happened in my house, but it did happen when I was over at a cousin's house for a party. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the, the person whose birthday it was, they just turned 16. They just got a, a new iPhone 8. Right. So... <laughs> And it just disappeared and it, was, it hit a couple of buttons and it just flashed up on their smart TV uh, connecting to, you know, cousin's phone. Yeah. And then it was just the angriest ball slapping sex. And it was like, <laughs> I just kind of looked at, everyone looked at me for some reason. I'm like, dude, I, this fucking was not, not me. me. I'm in the middle of the room. Why would I put on porn? <laughs> and then, that's that's when you get like, look, this is my phone. You can see clearly there's nothing on my phone. <laughs> There's nothing on my phone. You can see my background. You can see the background. <laughs> see, no, nothing going on here. <laughs> I can prove it. I, you cheap uh, bastards are not giving me the Wi-Fi password, so I am not connected to the Wi-Fi. <laughs> if I could stream you, bat pussy, I would. <laughs> my, I, I don't think I would. But. <laughs> my one question, though, and this is uh, mainly raised by Ori in the, uh, the Will of the Wisps, was that mm-hmm. one thing they pointed to is the fact that they can now push their game to 120 frames per second, because of the power of the Xbox One and that they can uh, tweak and tailor things and just refine it as much as possible to get every last frame out of there. Mm-hmm. I only have one question, though. Uh, how many TVs do you know that can run at 120 hertz? None. I went but digging, even... and you got to shell out about a grand for a TV that does that. Even 4K TVs only do 60. Yeah. 60 is fairly standard, and it's actually a very... like If you have never gamed at 60 frames per second, the switch-up is noticeable. And it is great to play at 60 frames per second. But I don't see the difference you get at 120. Like, there, there will be a difference. But I don't know that many people who are equipped to go at 120. Yeah. I mean, I think you have to be really trained to see the difference in it. Because personally, I have watched 4K 160, uh, 4K 60fps stream and 1080 60fps streams. And I don't see a fuck ton of difference between the two. The 4K might be a bit uh, brighter bit sharper but all in all i can i, I can see a difference between 4k too. and 1080 it's quite it, it takes a bigger screen to notice it but refresh rates is where i struggle because i think i just cap out at 60 i don't maybe i don't know maybe i'm just not being experienced enough with it because uh, i don't have like i limit my uh gaming to 60 frames per second because that's my monitor's limit and everything on my pc just auto set to 60 so i i run at that 
and uh, everything I film and record is 60 frames a second, so I'm used to that. Um, but I don't think I've seen enough 120 hertz footage to really know what the difference would be. I'm guessing it's important for fighting games. Um, I'm guessing if you could get 120 hertz out of a fighting game, you would want that. Um, and yeah, then because I suppose it gives you more active frames to do to lead into doing some cool sh uh, combo shit. But at the same time, uh, 60 FPS is more than enough. 60 FPS is a luxury. I think everyone would just prefer comfortable 30. Maybe 4K 30 FPS would be fine. Yeah. I mean, 60 I'll take 4K 60 if you can make it consistent. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's I the, the big takeaway for me is, yeah, if I if I drank every time they said 60 frames per second, I'd have died. Yeah, I mean, you know, for, I, I'd rather the game play well than it, you know, look well. Yeah, if something is mechanically unsound, but is pretty, it's just, I, I, it being pretty doesn't make up for it, you know? Um, yeah, I, I mean, look at Days Gone on the PS4. That game was a really good looking game. Played like ass though. Yeah. Played um, like absolute arse. And then contrast that to Seven Days to Die. Like, I, I don't think that that might be one of the ugliest games most people have ever played. Um, going back to its earlier alphas is yeah. almost unviewable. Um, but they had a functioning game that was there and it worked. It did the job. And then now with Alpha 19, they've just released uh, like a couple of weeks back. I've enjoyed it so much more because now that they've got the mechanics down, they've taken the time to change the lighting and everything looks so much better. I was playing it with uh, Ross and Jamie and just we were going, oh my God, this game is good now. Like this is a good looking game. The lighting change changes how the trees look, changes how the zombie models look. They've went and had to rework a bunch of textures to make it work properly. But at the same time, like I enjoy being in this world now because they had the core mechanics down and understandable and then went back to fix the visuals. And I'd take that over a pretty broken game any day. Like, see, when it comes to games looking great, I'm not. I'm probably not the best person to ask because Resident Evil 2 on the PlayStation 1 or GameCube is my favourite game of all time. And that's not a good looking game. It looks great <laughs> at the time, but it's not a good looking game nowadays. Yeah. So I'd rather the game be fun and play well than it looks fucking stellar. I mean, look at Golden Sun on the Game Boy Fans. One of the best RPGs of all time. Character models in the overworld look like ass. And the attack animations kind of look a bit choppy. But I still play that game end to end over a week. As opposed to playing buggy, barely functional, occasionally glitch through the ground, uh, COD Warzone. Right. <laughs> I was just waiting seen... for you just name dropping Skyrim there, just because you said RPG. Because <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've seen some footage of Cod Wars on where it looks like the character's going to land on a building and they just, their parachute just coasts them through the building and they fall through the world. Interesting. Yeah. Despite the fact that Cod that Cod Warzone is a ninety gig game that has sixty gigabit update patches. Yeah. I've, I've heard some people on the 500 gig playstations and xboxes can literally only have that and maybe two other small games yeah because it takes that much fucking space mm. it's a weird one and i'm just i'm glad i'm out of call of duty before that hit because i would yeah. be bitching up a storm yeah i was done with call of duty at uh, modern warfare 2 if i'm being honest I was like, this game's not fun yeah anything else you noticed in the conference anything else you want to highlight uh, i do kind of want to talk about a uh, pso2 new genesis Oh, right. I keep forgetting about that one. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's not much else I can say about Fantasy Star Online 2. I'm a huge fan of Fantasy Star Online. I used to play it 
after school when I was waiting for my parents to come home. Neighbours would watch me for a couple hours. They had the Dreamcast online subscription. So I said, I asked them, you know, can I make a character? And absolutely. Every so often I would just chip away, do some missions. And it was fun as fuck. I loved it to death. Then uh, years later, I found out about PSO2. This was in the early, early to mid 2000s. And I kept saying, I kept looking up when's this coming to the 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 west when's it coming to the uk eu and nothing uh, there was workarounds and you know download this patch and download this version of the game and it'll run on your system and i was always at that point i never had my own pc mm-hmm. it was always the family pc i'm like i'm not going to bring in all that shit because i'll get fucking balled out or something yeah after years of waiting we got um you know shitty very very bad pso games on xbox 360 and uh, I think there was a few on PS3 and there was just fucking awful. Fantasy Star Universe is a bad game. It tries to be Fantasy Star online. It tries to be Fantasy Star online in terms of missions and shit but, and tie in some weird fucking annoying story. Yeah, it was annoying. So when I heard that PSL 2 came out, I was like, oh, cool, great. I'll get a chance to play this. But the Windows Store kept fucking me over. You explained this to me before we started recording. I'm still in shock of what you said. Please explain to the listeners why it it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work because there was some program that was needed to run the Windows Store so you could download the game was preventing the game from working on my PC. And this is not the first time... I'm not the only person this has happened to. This has happened to a lot of people to the point where they've had to download uh, the PSO2 Tweaker and the PSO2 Trapper... uh, programs so that the game will work flawlessly on uh, your western PC. Apparently it doesn't really work great on consoles it doesn't really work great on the Xbox because that was going to be my thing afterward because it has crossplay. I was just going to jump over and play it on my fucking Xbox but nah, uh, apparently it doesn't work great on Xboxes so uh, when I seen that New Genesis was coming I was like holy shit they're fixing some of these bugs hopefully it'll be a, a better download and it won't just be for uh, it won't just drop for North American and then people in the EU can just pick it up and play it through, you know, very, very shoddy downloads. Then I thought, why do PSO2 again and do it better when you could just say, right, PSO2 happened. Some people played it. Some people had fun with it. Let's just jump straight to PSO3. Let's take these high updated graphics for the Xbox Series X and Windows Store. Let's just do PSO3. But it is what it is. I'll, I will definitely play it because I, I had fun with the six hours that I managed to squeeze out of Fantasy Star Online 2. Not because that's all the content that's in the game. That's all the content I could get out of the game because it kept crashing on my PC. <laughs> so, massively looking forward to PSO2, a new Genesis. And for me, that's where the conference ended because I could not give less of a shit about Fable. I forgot to bring up Fable and I, I'm i okay with the Fable series. I liked 1 and 2. Uh, I thought 3 was a shit show. Um, I was not a fan of 3. I was not a fan of the fact that I figured out how to break three without talking to anyone because I'm an idiot. Um, but I heard in advance at the end of three, you have to decide between uh, money and saving people. And I was like, okay, well, that's an interesting choice. It wasn't. Uh, but then I Maybe realized. You can save people for money. Hmm? Ever thought about that? Maybe you can save people for money. Yeah. <laughs> Someone should make a career out of that and then make movies about it. I, uh, yep. I then I found out that wait a minute I can just break the economy of this game and have both so what I can do is you have to have a certain amount of money in the treasury 
which you can do through investing, which you is part of the game. Like you can go through and invest and just you can rack up tons of money, invest in a bunch of businesses, go around, collect all your money, put it into your private uh, bank, and then shift it in your castle from the private bank to the public bank. And then you have that as a reservoir of money to uh, use to save the, 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 to basically beat the game. And uh, you can do it for like 12 million jewel or 12 million crown, which is actually pretty doable uh, because there's a time skip at the end of the game that's like three years and all the investments continue to run. So you keep gaining interest. And if you just have enough investments in like every town, you just mm-hmm. spend the last like five minutes of the game running to every town, gathering up all your cash, running back to the uh, to the castle, putting it in the like the giant cave of money that you've been gathering, and you have enough money to save all the people and not lose uh, like enough money because by the time you're done uh, with the the final boss, another time it happens for another like year or so. And you can go back and grab all the money again. And you have nice. enough money to complete the game. Nobody gives a shit. <laughs> I figured that one out, and I'm an idiot. But uh, yeah, if, if there's another Fable, I mean, I guess I'll give it a go. It's the last, um, or it's the newest one since Fable 3, because there was some Fable stuff that came out we don't speak of. Uh, yeah, there was Fable Connect or some shit. We said we don't speak of it, Dom. We just said we don't speak of it. <laughs> Fuck you. I'll talk about it all I want. But I think... I, I think- for most people, the, the the ship on Fable has well and truly sailed. I don't think the fans are really sticking about for much more. Here's the thing, though. The world is still charming enough. If it's still written with the same tone, I will mm. go back there because it is very quaint. Um, it's not for everyone, but I do enjoy it. And also Stephen Fry's voicing in it, or voice acting, yeah. again, so that's yeah, nice. Yeah, and Nick Frost were in it as well, weren't they? Yeah, um, like it's a little who's who of just like various English actors for Fable Three. It's a very charming English fantasy setting. Yes, it is, my lord. <laughs> yes, my lord. We are good people. <laughs> we I'm are a but kind man, my lord. We are but humble country bumpkin, sir. We do nothing out of sorts. Um, I I just I, I enjoy being in that world and then just pulling out a flintlock pistol and blowing everyone away. It's quite fun, um, but. I don't know where Peter Molyneux is involved in this, and that gives me hope, because Peter Molyneux develops games by just promising you everything, and then just and shoving whatever he can fit in the disc, and then just throwing it at you and saying, be grateful peasants. Um, but as far as I'm aware, Lionhead Studios dissolved uh, mm. a couple of years back, and this is now being handed over to the a team that developed Forza games. So, that's interesting. Yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see on that one, because Whenever someone brings up that, I just think of the the Anthem pass off when it went from uh, dice development to back to EA and it just bounced about. And then uh, who was it? Bioware. Just they were brought in to finish it. Then the guys who made FIFA were tasked to come in and give them a hand. It just became this massive shit show. Uh, so. That's true, but I think this has been developed from day one by the same people. Like I think this oh, yeah. is this isn't like a random shift. The, the guys from uh, Lionhead Studios have been gone for years now. Microsoft owns the IP and gave it to a team and said, go, a couple of years back. I think that's what's going on. But again, I have no actual information to corroborate yeah. that. I mean, I hope so. I mean, I hope my, my scenario never comes to pass. No one wants another Anthem. <laughs> I don't think the people who made Anthem want Anthem again. They're going to try, though. They're going to keep trying to make that Destiny money back, but they're not going to yeah. make it. Yeah. I don't think it will. I think Anthem is 
just weren't truly dead. I think they even shut down the servers. I need to check on that, but it does sound like something that might have happened, and we've just missed it because no one gives a shit. Yeah, I don't think anyone. I don't think anyone is ultimately bothered about Anthem anymore. But yeah, I, I go, getting back to the Xbox event because I, I just checked the time. But uh, <laughs> was there, was there much else that we much else that you picked up from the Xbox event? Because no, for just... me, my takeaways were they're still not giving us price points, which has got me kind of worried. Mm-hmm. I think they're trying to maybe build up a bit of good favor before they bust it and say, and it's twelve hundred pounds. Uh, I, I I heard a lot. Of, bad, obviously, but... The the wish list price is six hundred. That's not happening. Yeah, I'm that's sorry. It's going to be. Based on the tech that's in there, it will be weird to have them try and release it. Six, maybe as like part of a launch day bundle, but the average price of this really should be closer to six fifty, at least. Yeah. I've heard on the upper end people saying that the xbox series x is going to be about 800 which i just think nah there's no way in fuck they would charge a charge 800 for a console mm-hmm. i think 600 is like the upper limit of where i think it could be but for the playstation 5 and the playstation 5 digital i think they were talking about 550 for the playstation 5 with the disc tray and uh, 450 for the old digital which i think if that is the prices that they're basing that off Series X are probably run about four hundred. Yeah, because that's that is part of just under PlayStation Five in terms of pricing. And for those of you not that familiar with console pricing, the price is so important it basically sank the Dreamcast. Sega had a great console, very powerful. Um, should yep. have had a lot of hope in it, and then Sony came out with a PlayStation that was a hundred quid cheaper, and the Dreamcast was dead the next day. Yeah. I think uh, the Dreamcast came out and it was two hundred ninety nine dollars, and uh, the, uh, there's a famous video of the Sony executive walking up, putting down his paper, and just going one ninety nine, and walking away or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's you watch that footage and you're like, what just happened? But then you realize the context. And you're like, oh, he just killed the company. Okay, yeah, nice. He, <laughs> he just shot Dreamcast in the head. It was just shame because the Dreamcast stuff it was light years ahead of its time. It was yeah. a great wee console. Um, right, I think that wraps up the Xbox conference. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I'm, I'm optimistic. I like where this is going. Um, yeah. I appreciate the uh, the emphasis on uh, for narrative gameplay, but I think that's part of the initial launch strategy, which is that we have the next generation of really powerful consoles. I think it's really hard to tell a or to show the power of your console in like a Call of Duty game. I don't think you can have it run that type of game and look good. Whereas you can have a narrative game, uh, get all the kind of good boy points for making narrative games come back again, um, and then you can also shove in a bunch of cinematic moments that really make your console shine. It's a great yeah. advertising strategy in a way for the games that, or for the console as the games come out and say, look how good this looks. Um, and then in a couple of years, when we see a couple of first-person shooters start to creep in there, I expect there'll be like a Call of Duty remaster that will make it uh, along with the launch titles, but. Sure. Other than that, I mean, most people just have like a, a Fortnite or a Battle Royale game that they carry over to the next generation of consoles. I think one thing that's going to carry over from the, this console generation to next gen is the remaster remake climate. I think that's going to follow them in because there's going to be so many. Yeah. I don't. Uh, what the hell? Backwards compatibility is going to be a thing from the get go. I think for Xbox it's going to be. I think Xbox have got that technology down to an art. Yeah. I don't think PlayStation have. I think PlayStation fans are going to be lucky if they get 
natural PS4 backwards compatibility. Whereas with Xbox Series X, I think they're going to have all the backwards compatibility from the start. Because they did it on Xbox One. You can play Xbox games, you can play 360 games mm -hmm. from the get-go. Yeah, I think we'll see them do something like that. I don't know how many 360 games will make the jump, but I think they'll try and get them most of them there. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think this is a good strategy of just great cinematic showcase. And then also people say, oh, look at them being so artistic. You know, eh, maybe, yeah. yeah. But I think that the um, talk about the Game Pass, to wrap it all back to there, I think that mm -hmm. the Game Pass model is a great way of using uh, like those smaller, or those smaller uh, studios to make that type of game because I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't pay for some of these games. Uh, like I wouldn't pay the full sixty quid for something like Everwild or uh, The Gunk or As Dust Falls. But again, like I'll pay a subscription fee to maybe play those games. Yeah, as part of a, and, a larger program. And that's the thing. I think Game Pass because it's, it cycles games in. I think more often than not, it'll keep, it keeps the the games in the games library. But if the game happens to cycle out. Mm -hmm. It takes a while for them to cycle. I think it's like a nine month or like ten month cycle, something like that. It kind of works a bit like Netflix. It'll be there for a good chunk, yeah. But then it'll it'll disappear, and that's natural. They need to cycle the games. Yeah. At the same time, if fifteen pound a month, and you play, I'll give you an example. If you play a game called Hollow Knight, which is a fantastic, a really thematic, there's not really there's not really a great focus on out and out lore. You can find bits of lore. And the the world itself kind of tells you the story, but uh, it's a Metroidvania type game. Uh, did I say the name Hollow Knight? Yeah. All right. Yeah. If people can play that on Game Pass, then go. You know what? That game's fantastic. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go and pay. Uh, I think it's fourteen ninety nine for that game. That's that's a great thing because I think uh, I think I was watching a video by Alana Pierce and she was saying that this actually helps the overall sale of. Uh, indie games because yeah. people are getting interaction with these games they're getting money or the developers are getting money from that but then off the back of that uh, indie developers are, are experiencing uh, an increase in sales because people who are playing on game pass are buying the game anyway because you know, think oh that game's good i'm going to support it yeah. like what i'm doing with a uh, bloodstained ritual of the night i played that on game pass and it's a fucking phenomenal game it kind of chugs dicks on the xbox though I've heard that the, the Xbox and PS4 versions are a bit wonky. The Switch version's a bit wonky. So I've had to, I'm playing it on PC just to kind of keep up with it. But yeah. I will gladly, once Game Pass goes, I will be buying Bloodstained Ritual of the Night physical copy on whatever console I can, can find it on. I, I think Cheap. as well, like, it, there is the, the virtuous part of it where people say, I want to support this medium, I want to support these developers, and they go and buy it. Um, as a as a separate game on top of buying it, or having it as part of Game Pass, but I think there's also that kind of uh, the fear of it going away. Um, so you'd mm -hmm. have somebody say maybe play it on the PC or play it on a, on an Xbox, and then say I really like that game, but it might disappear. It might cycle out eventually. So I'll go and yep. buy it on Steam when it's on sale. So I think as well there's like a bit of a boost in sales in that regard as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that I don't I don't know if that's a good thing though, because people go, "I'll wait till a sale." But either way, if it gets people buying games that they wouldn't normally buy or playing games they wouldn't normally play, I think that's that's a good thing ultimately because people are picking up these great titles that because it's not a big budget title that's usually thrown in their face like Call of Duty or a Fortnite or a a Halo or a Final Fantasy or Last of Us, whatever the hell it could be. Mm. If they if they 
get introduced to that game through Game Pass. And game Pass is worth its weight in gold. As long as the studios are getting their fair share of money and are getting enough to not just survive, but make it like make themselves bigger and better and to do what they want to do next, yeah. I uh, I'm all for it. I really am. I, I think it's an interesting uh, business model. I was very skeptical of it, but I think it's it must have worked out. They keep doing it. Microsoft yeah. will drop a project if it sucks. Let's be honest. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just hope to Christ that we don't get a. I'd sorry to take this deck in a more horrible route, but I hope to fuck we don't get a, an article in a couple months' time just saying Game Pass uh, gives no money to developers and it is worth absolutely fuck all to Microsoft, so they're, yeah. they're shutting it down. Yeah. I hope, or even it's just Microsoft gets 80%. Yeah, Microsoft has been Pass secretly shafting every studio you love. Yeah. To other people. I think that's going to be a shitty, bitter pill to swallow. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of bitter pills, I think it's time for the showstopper. Yeah, okay, let's do this. Is it bit? Uh, hopefully, it's, I'm not. I'm gonna. Uh, I'm gonna check you a bit on this one, brother. But uh, is it better than Bat Pussy? Because you, you weren't really bringing the A material for Bat Pussy. It's a porno about Batwoman. <laughs> you can do better, though, man. You can do better. It's 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 a bit related to a bitter pill. Um, let's be honest. This is. Uh, I mean, we talk a lot about coronavirus and say. With a lot of uh, points to say, look, we are not experts on this. We are barely even li uh, literate in this field. Um, so we always say... Well, I did get a shit ton of bother for calling it C-Virus recently. Really? Yeah. Uh, I was talking to someone. Uh, I was taking uh, taking my dog out for a walk, seeing them. They came over and, you know, they always talk to the dog before they talk to me. But yeah, whatever. He's My dog's pretty cute. <laughs> uh, uh, so they're talking to me and I said, yeah, the C... I said... Something that I thought was completely innocuous is said, yeah, the C virus shit is terrifying. I, I really hope that I don't catch it. And then they just went into a five minute rant about how I'm not taking it seriously. I just went, that's just what I call coronavirus. I'm still taking it seriously. I just call it C virus. Why? Because I play too many Resident Evil games. That's why. Uh, Motherfucker. I, I sorry. Just, you, you, I refuse to sorry. fear it enough to give it some weird name that isn't just calling it what it is. Um, yeah, I, I refuse to call it the Rona. Yeah, I, I won't call it that. I'll call it COVID nineteen or coronavirus. But I, yeah. I, um, so we always say, listen to the experts because they are the people at the front line of this. They have the most up to date information. They have the, the best understanding of the mechanics at play to help get you mm -hmm. through the situation that we face right now. Um, until that, it, well, we always agree with those people and just listen to the best advice they have. Um, I come at it from the point of view of having an understanding of science. Um, that. A scientist will very rarely give you a definitive statement. I they will say it is most likely, it is most probable, it is most likely to help you. You know they will they will never speak in certainties because those are the realm of the Sith um, and idiots. So <laughs> you have a lot of people got very annoyed at uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, who is the uh, head of the kind of task force related to COVID nineteen. He advises the president, the vice president of the United States and has been at the forefront of you know epidemics for about 30 years now. Uh, he is the director of the National, National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases for more than three decades and has been around uh, working with pandemics and epidemics since AIDS. Let's put that into perspective. This is the career professional, and uh, I actually am a big fan of his uh, approach and how he's been dealing with the being the public face of coronavirus in a weird way. Um, because, frankly, I wouldn't trust uh, President Trump to read a fucking napkin, let alone a scientific document. So, 
Uh, he has yeah. been making a very good point of going on public talk shows, to going on podcasts, making appearances wherever he can. He even went on Philip DeFranco's show uh, way back at the start of the pandemic because Philip DeFranco has a young, engaged audience who might want to know more about what's going on with this weird global pandemic that came out of nowhere and shut the world down. Um, and he has been... Um, obviously, it's a lot of work. He has talked quite openly about the fact that he's exhausted. He is running 20 hours a day on four hours uh, sleep and then just trying to make it to the next meeting to find out the most relevant information and then give that information to the people who need to know about it. And uh, there's been a bit of public uh, back and forth uh, between Fauci and Trump because Trump is a narcissist and doesn't like the idea that someone who can read uh, is getting more attention than him. So there's been a bit of, uh, bit of a, a, a lover's tiff going on between these two. And Anthony Fauci just seems to have dropped off and just disappeared back into the lab to work on this and works on presidential briefings and making sure that we understand the information. But um, it hasn't stopped people getting to him. There was a thing that he did recently uh, with a, a group called the Axe Files podcast uh, where a guy called Axelrod, apparently that's the name, uh, asked Fauci about how uh, he's been doing uh, as such a public face of the pandemic and uh, especially with all the people in America have a very uh, pro-economy view of what needs to be done. They don't like the idea of locking down the economy because there will be consequences to locking down everyone's finances and making sure that you know nobody can basically earn money. This is a stressful time. It's really hard in the economy and there's concern that the economic shutdown and the hardships that come from that will be even worse than the pandemic, which I don't entirely agree with. I think we can work around and fix that a lot easier than a virus that you know, harms people's lungs. And yep. uh, he wanted to talk about the fact that you know he's seen the public reaction to pandemics for decades now. And uh, he says, back in the days of HIV, I was criticised uh, for some hate, with hate mail, uh, with some people saying uh, he was a gay lover and what the hell is he doing wasting his time on AIDS patients? as if AIDS patients don't deserve care. Um, and he said that the the thing is that like back then, he could say, well, that's just a bigoted person, it's just an idiot saying stupid things, I can just push that to the side. Um, however, now he says that it's an entirely different beast, it's an entirely different animal. Um, he receives, he says, far more hate mail and serious threats than he did for working on AIDS, um, for working on coronavirus, because... I mean, this is a public servant. He never went in there thinking he'd be the hero. Um, but he didn't expect to receive so much hate. And he says, there have been serious threats made against me, my wife, and my daughters. Uh, I mean, really, what is this? Is this the United States? And that is in a quote in a CBS News article that I'm using as a reference point here. Um, but So this guy's trying to assist in curing uh, COVID. Yep, he's part of the... Death threats. He's part of the teams looking into uh, analysis of the virus, how it work on a cure. Uh, he is coordinating the research of uh, like labs all across the United States. He's looking at facts, uh, the stats for infection rates all across the country. And then he's presenting all of that to the President of the United States or the Vice President or the commissions and the, the, the groups set up to handle that from the executive branch of the United States government. And he's doing that for the last couple of months. And he's getting death threats for this because he's suggesting that we take a cautious uh, approach and that we have to lock down the economy to secure people's survival 
um, which is an odd thing to have a, you know, an issue with. Hmm. So he was asked what, why. What's in the economy? What does exactly meaning by that? Is he saying we have to sort out the economy before we... Well, the concern is, I mean, obviously, with our lockdown here in the UK, we've basically shut down on all non-essential businesses. Mm. And well, I've been working because I work in a lab that deals with certain bacteria. We need to stay open. Um, we have had shops have been opened uh, for food. Uh, if you sell any kind of food supplies, you've been allowed to stay open. But if you are a closed shop, you haven't been working. Um, if you are a joiner, which uh, my brother is, he works with a company fitting windows, he hasn't been working for months. Their money, they, we are subsidised by our government, and that's yeah. been okay. It's not great. Um, but the United States is in a much worse position because they have to try and find a way of giving money to 330 million people. So their economy is... In, there, there's concerns that this, uh, the, the lack of production and people just being given money that ultimately might mean nothing, um, depending on how the economy turns out. Mm-hmm there is there might be no value to the money they're being given at some point so what have they really been given other than a piece of paper and then the 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 concern there is that the economic shutdown the stress the uh, loss of jobs the loss of revenue the um like having to prioritize uh certain types of like having to basically cut back on real like normal life uh might lead those to suicide that's a serious concern that the economic shutdown would cause suicides to spike and there's evidence pointing one way and the other way at the same time about whether or not that's actually happening. So there's been a large vocal group, I'll say a large vocal group, but there's been a vocal group in the United States that's been arguing that the economic restrictions have to be lifted, uh, or that the, uh, the, the pandemic restrictions have to be lifted to save the American economy. And you know what you should do at this point, and this is, this is genuinely like the social worker... So this is like the youth worker. This is the rugby coach in my brain, uh, thinking, you know, fucking let them. They're going to catch coronavirus anyway. Let, let them try and boost the economy because they're going to catch coronavirus. And then who are they going to moan to? The same guy that was trying to save them. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, there is the argument that you 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 find the 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 most at risk, the those with respiratory infections, with compromised immune systems, the elderly. Um, and then you basically keep those people in lockdown, and then you allow the young, healthy people to go out and take the risk. And that's mm. another argument you can see being posted around. Um, but I, I honestly, I, I look at that and say, you're willing to put money over human life. Really? Yeah. Because yeah. that's what it boils down to, is money versus human life. And yeah. uh, some people are very much in favour of money. Uh, those people threatening Dr. Fauci has actually prompted him to take security measures. He actually has been given a security detail um, and the Department of Justice confirmed that federal agents uh, have been ramping up security for Fauci after threats were made against them, and that uh, this was made at the request of the Health and Human Services Inspector General, um, who obviously became aware of how bad Fauci was getting it, and then said, we need to give this guy basically a security detail at all times. Hmm. And it's yeah. fucking unreal. That yeah, it's disgusting that some people out there value, you know, money over human lives because how do you make money you employ people can't employ people if they're all dead because you went to open up you went to try and make money mm. it's i mean i'm glad that in scotland we've kind of we've slightly put money to the back burner 
But yeah. Nicola Sturgeon on, I think Nicola Sturgeon's kind of having her arm twisted by the UK government as a whole saying, right, this is what the UK have agreed, you need to do this. And her first minister going, yeah, sure, okay, we'll do it. But she's trying to kind of put it off for as long as possible. Because from what I've heard, uh, we're going to stay in phase three for as long as we can mm-hmm. because there's still this fear of a second spike. So if we that second spike hits, we're shooting straight back to phase two or even go back to phase one when we're still locked down, only leave the house for food. Yeah. And I, I, I it just it baffles me that people are really struggling with the idea of a very basic uh, kind of moral lesson of a human life's value is infinite and should not have a, it shouldn't have a financial level. You shouldn't be able to say, yeah. okay, for 3,000 quid, like, it's the same as saying, for X thousand, I'll kill someone. Yeah. That is a question that's being asked of America and I frankly think they're failing. Yeah, it is a disgusting, it's a, it's a disgusting concept to say, or to even in, uh, insinuate that human lives have a defined monetary value because basically that's what they're saying that's what they're saying that the the economy of the united states has infinitely more value than its population which is a disgusting thing to say and i can i can see why you put that as the showstopper yep because i'm angry <laughs> it's effective and a- it's one of a thousand reasons as to why i'm not in america i'm glad i'm not in america right now yeah. And uh, yeah, if you're in America and you own a fucking business, don't put profit over people. Put people in front of everything. Yeah. Well, I may be angry, but um, if I think I'm done talking gibberish. If you want to find us on Twitter, I'm at IronLordMad. I'm at DomAnderson25. It's been that long since I've said this. I need to look up what my... Yeah, at DomAnderson, Dom underscore Anderson25. And uh, you can find the podcast at Jibberfish. You can email us at jibberfishpodcast at gmail.com. And in the meantime, uh, we'll see you next time. But we've been talking Jibberfish. <laughs>